It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vedas, his father, they're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. Welcome, welcome, welcome to You Watched It Wrong. This is Wade. And Siggy. Oh, we got a good one today, folks. Uh, we are going to be discussing our first film of 2017, Get Out. The first film from 17 that we'll be discussing, the f- since we've discussed other films in 2017. Yeah, you're right. Words have meaning, don't they? Well, the order of the, them the order. helps, too. Certainly. I guess, do we have any other business before we jump right in? No. Let's get to this one. All right, let me just crank up the spoiler machine. Uh, okay, here we go. Spoiler warnings. We'll see you there through the miracle of podcasting. Bye. And now it's time for your weekly spoiler warnings. In addition to Get Out, spoiler warnings ahead for Miller's Crossing. Land of the Dead, The Cabin in the Woods, and The Invention of Lying. You have been warned. Okay, here we are, starting officially our discussion of Get Out, uh, a film that you and I, Wade, have avoided discussing, just as we avoid discussing any movie that's going to be the topic of a podcast before we start recording. And so, Given this one, I'm actually quite proud of us. I, I didn't know if we could take it. And we even had a, like, uh, a, a two-hour phone conversation just 24 hours ago. Yeah, you folks weren't in that. Sorry. We weren't recording it. It was actually really good. It would have been it would have been a pretty good episode. <laughs> actually, it, would have um, been. it was a it was a total waste of a conversation uh, in that regard. Uh, but um, uh, if if I hadn't seen your um, a little comment you made on Facebook, I still oh. would have guessed. I think how you felt about this movie, and uh, so I want to. Um, so this is you know we just had the spoiler machine two thousand or whatever it is. Um, issue its uh, warnings for this episode. Every episode is going to be very spoiler heavy. Um, but I want to like exercise a special um, what's the word I want? I want to uh, I want to kick in a, a certain mechanism, and I I think you're going to agree, uh, dear listener. If you haven't seen Let Go, uh, I keep wanting to say Let Go. <laughs> it's called Get Out. Wait, did you see you Frozen? Ha- I you're haven't. Supposed to I see have Get seen- Out. I have not seen Frozen, um, although I have failed to escape that song. Dear listener, if you have not seen Get Out, please stop listening to us right now yeah, and go it. see Get Out. And you may think that we're saying that because we think it'll enhance this discussion. No, 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 no. You do not want to ruin the experience of the film for you. See, I I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if... Um, if we spoiled this particular movie, not only because, um, not only because of the, the, the quality of the viewing experience, 
Um, just that I think uh, it's an experience that's not that there's like any just twists. Like if you're a person who doesn't care about twists and you just wonder what the twists are, that's not it. It's just no. a movie that gets deeper the the more you the, as you get into it. Yeah. Well, we'll get into the reason why. Just trust me on this one. Just go see this movie and then come back and listen to the episode, please. We please. will not be offended. In fact, we'll be offended if you don't. I'm not gonna. I, I'm. I don't think we should exercise this uh, option very often. But I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna trigger it here. Okay, that's my preamble. Um, uh, Wade, we. I have an observation. Now that we've had three episodes under our belt. Okay. Uh, I have, this is my second preamble. Um, <laughs> uh, I have an observation about, uh, we've also don't talk very much about how we're going to structure our, the discussions once we get into the discussions. Right. Um, but I've noticed a pattern starting to emerge. Tell me if you've noticed this too, that, uh, you like to start off with kind of a top level, uh, uh, summary of the whole movie mm-hmm. and your takeaway from it. Whereas I like to uh, go sequentially through the movie, uh, basically scene by scene, which is interesting, and then get to a conclusion, and then get to uh, a conclusion. Ah, so you're flipped because I love to go through it scene by scene too, but I I want to give up top. Yeah, you start with you start with sort of your ultimate takeaway, and I I tend to my natural inclination is to build towards it, and here's another thing we haven't really talked about, but I think. If if the title of this podcast means anything, <laughs> you watched it wrong. It means um, that this podcast is really about like we're not trying to uh, give like um, an expert critical analysis of a movie. We're really talking about the way we experienced the movie, right? Right, and what it what it did to us personally, and then we're sharing that with each other and and hopefully with an audience. And I think, and I think the way that we approach the conversation just kind of reflects the different ways we think about that experience. Mm. Uh, you know, you you tend to lead off with sort of the um, what what's for you the emotional stakes mm-hmm. of the movie, um, whereas I tend to I tend to try to like recreate the experience of sitting in the theater mm-hmm. for me. So that's where I'm coming from. It. So, um, so I'm not, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I don't even know if they're incompatible. I think maybe we can, we can do this dance. Um, (laughs) well, if we talked about them the same way, then really only one of us should host the show. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I mean, and that's frankly, that's an option on the table. (laughs) I didn't put it on the table, but now it's on the table. But now it's out there. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so that's preamble to close. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to let you answer this however you want to answer it. Wade, how did you watch it? I went to a, uh, well, not a midnight screening. I went to a 11 PM screening. Um, close enough. That's pretty close. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I snuck out and not snuck out. I, I went out with the family asleep and had a marvelous time uh, in, in my summation <laughs> in conclusion in conclusion uh and again following my trend here on this show um there are a lot of movies coming out this year i'm extremely excited about three billboards outside of uh, ebbing missouri 
Mazura. Mazura. There's a movie by Martin McDonough. I don't want to say tangent. Don't want to tangent. Very excited about some movies coming out this year. Okay. Um, I would not be surprised if by come December 31st, Get Out was remained my favorite film of this year. I just can't. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop finding more things in it. Just how everything fits and everything works and everything. Everything is just perfect. And I've, that's the second time I've used perfect in terms of movies because I don't. I believe there is no perfect movie. I don't think there there can be one. And as I've said before, if you were going to say there was a perfect movie, I would say the closest thing out th- to it is Raising Arizona. Hmm. Do you have an idea? If there was, if you were to deem one movie to be a perfect movie, do you have one? Gosh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, a movie that I wouldn't change a thing. Well, no, no movie that, um, no, not a movie you wouldn't change a thing. A movie. Well, if that, it was perfect, why would I change a thing? Well, there, there are things that are imperfect that I wouldn't touch. Okay. You know what I mean? All right. Fair enough. Like, like the the imperfections give it its give it something that it wouldn't otherwise have. Um, and then, and and the imperfection in itself is might even very well be just subjective from my own taste. Um, but I think Raising Arizona is a perfect film, be- which is also saying something in terms of how it's, uh, it dabble, it kind of lives in absurdity. Uh, but I think, I think that that movie is a perfect film because every single thing it sets out to do, it succeeds. I don't think there's a f- failure or a false note in that movie. You know, it's one of my favorite movies. I haven't seen it in a while though. It's one of those I'm like, is this the year I can show it to my children? (laughs) (laughs) There is a whole uh, adultery subplot or alleged adultery subplot. Um, There's there's, uh, lots of talk of semen (laughs) and bunnies getting shot. Oh, uh, yeah, the semen. They could handle the bunny getting (laughs) shot. Or bunny, no, the bunny blew up. The lizard got shot. Sorry. Um, Yeah, I'm not... uh, but yeah, and then adultery being a uh, that that subplot. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the the prospect of it that could go over their head though, really at that point because they don't yeah. they don't really. He does say wife swap, but what is you know I got to go back to raising Arizona because I used to be um, I used to think last time I saw Miller's Crossing, this might be a little bit of a controversial statement. Last time I saw Miller's Crossing and seeing it with new eyes, it really went down a couple pegs in my estimation. Mm, well, that's right. I remember we talked about this because uh, feeding into another conversation we had in the past that I think we're going to bring up again is Raising Arizona, I think, is the perfect movie, but Miller's Crossing is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of parts of it. It is not perfect. There are a lot of parts like the um, – the like I I think I'm going to steal your thunder on this, the, the scene – where um, Johnny Casper kills the Dane with the with yes. the uh, with the with the uh, boxer in the background. That you know, when we were young, we thought was so cool, and now it's like, uh, yeah, uh. that was one of those. You know, I was like, right, exactly, you got it, you you, you nailed it. Um, that was always a thing that that hit me about Coen Brothers movies is there was always one or two scenes per movie that just kind of exploded in like color not 
not literally, but just like exploded, like just took the movie up, like shot it up like several levels, you know. Yeah. And uh, for Miller's Crossing, though, kind of, I would argue that's the the attempt on Albert Finney's life on Leo. Well, that's life. the other one, right? And that's the one that still works, right? Right. For it's me, not, it's it's not as awesome as I had remembered it. I watch I watch Miller's Crossing a lot actually, and um uh, but it still holds up. It's still great. Um, whenever I think about uh, screenplays or what makes a good screenplay, I always sometimes I sit down. I go, well, let me diagram. Like, let me sit down and break down a, an existing screenplay that I really, really like. And I always go to Miller's Crossing, and I always get hung up. <laughs> I can never finish breaking that script down because there are still some things about it that um, I think one reason why I'm so enamored by it is there are some things that are elusive to me. Well, wasn't it, it intentionally modeled on The Big Sleep, which is oh, that was like that... about the densest, Byzant- most Byzantine... <laughs> I thought, plot that actually doesn't work. <laughs> I thought Big Lebowski was based on The Big Sleep. Uh, um, well, right. It was based on Raymond Chandler. Well, I don't know. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they I mean, both are. They both can be in different they both, ways. They certainly can. W- one thing I did notice on like the umpteenth viewing of Miller's Crossing was I discovered uh, I, I finally heard a very important piece of information that probably should have been obvious the mink yeah was that mink had shot rug daniels um because there's a moment and i've noticed this that every time they they give a piece of information that is something that's not happening on screen you're talking about people who aren't in the room people you haven't met yet and and people for a while exactly something the wire uh did a lot too they will do it over the phone and then give you this beautiful insert shot that takes your focus. Like like Gabriel Burns sitting in the chair with the rag on his head and he, he's on the phone and then he takes the wet rag and, and then puts it down to the floor and there's a glass on the floor in the sunlight and he squeezes the rag out into the glass and it's this gorgeous <laughs> shot. And over that, you're just sitting there going, oh, wow, look at that. But then over that, they give you, and Meek killed the guy you were looking for this whole movie. <laughs> and and I, it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth viewing that I went, that I finally caught it. And then they do that systematically throughout the movie. And I think in a lot of their movies, actually. But that movie in particular, all this really important information is given over a beautiful insert shot. And I'm like, they're doing that on purpose. <laughs> I mean, maybe the point is that it doesn't actually matter. No, it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Ultimately, it didn't because I still love the movie and I didn't even know those things. So There's a lot to love. There's a lot to love in the movie. Oh, yeah. Parts of it that I had loved and thought like, oh, these are like the stratospheric moments yeah. of the movie um, like uh, when Casper kills the Dane um, just struck me as really uh, ham-fisted and cartoonish in a bad way. <laughs> and yet some of the things that I found somewhat cartoonish initially or that didn't, I didn't think were my favorite things are now my favorite things. Like, such um, as, well, such as Johnny Casper in general. I mean, I, I've always liked John Polito, but, um, Johnny Casper, the role of Johnny Casper in, in its writing and its performance, I think is a marvel of filmmaking because he is a, in, in writing. Cause he is at once, one of the main antagonists, the instigator of the conflict, the comic relief, and its moral center. 
Yeah, he's kind of the hero of the story. He's, he's everything. He's everything in that movie. He's the villain. He's the inciting incident. He's the comic relief. He's the heart. He's the soul. He's the tragic figure. And yet he's this loudish, violent, child-striking, loudmouth. <laughs> and yet he is all those things. It's really incredible. I think it... I think it's one of the best written roles in cinema history, and I, I'm, I, it doesn't get the credit that I think it deserves. But we were talking about another movie, weren't we? We were talking about <laughs> Get Out. We we were we were not talking about Get Out. That's the problem. That's the problem. So we're, we're so you. Uh, oh, we're talking about how I watched it. We didn't. That's how did you watch it. I I don't know how we got here. Let's go back there. I went to a late night screening and saw it, and just couldn't. And that's that. Oh, perfection. That's how we got into it. Because I perfection. was... Perfection. It's... Uh, oh, Raising Arizona. Perfection. And you right. asked me what another... I'm, I'm going to have to come back to that question. I don't... I'm not prepared to ask... Uh, to answer that... Okay. <sighs> that question. We'll, that's we'll, a big question. It's a big question. I'll back burner that. But I'm, let's... I'm, I'd be afraid to answer it wrong. I... Th- well, this... Uh, well, first let's ask how you watched it. Because I think I'm going to take your... Other than my main pronouncement, I'm going to take your approach this time because I think we have to go through it scene by scene. It's I, I don't know where else to begin. Okay. So go. Uh, how uh, did you watch it? No big story. Uh, just uh, talk. Well, talk the wife into going with me. Oh, cool. um, who is not a fan of horror movies uh, at all. Um, <laughs> uh, the last horror movie she's seen before this one was Blair Witch Project, um, which. To quote uh, Keanu, to quote Jordan <laughs> Peele and Keanu, we saw Blair Witch Project at a exclusive. It wasn't exclusive, but an advanced screening before anyone knew it was real, right uh, or not. Um, uh, before anyone knew, knew it wasn't real, so we never heard it. It was like the first, very first screening of it in Chicago. It's a midnight show. Um, we had to stand in line for like an hour with a bunch of friends. And we didn't know anything about it. We just knew it got picked up at Sundance. It had buzz around it. It was supposed to something about it was supposed to be good, but nobody knew what. None of us knew what. And so uh, the first thing I, all I knew was the title. And then I get into the lobby finally, and I see I just hear it's supposed to be scary. And then I see the poster, and then we see the film. And uh, I don't I don't know what your your experience. That's a collective view. Uh, was like when you saw it, but when we saw it, it was extremely. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was extremely effective in that room, uh, under those circumstances. Uh, it, it was great, and uh, and my wife uh, couldn't sleep for at least two weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so which included say, our honeymoon. <laughs> so wow. So needless to say, she probably wasn't looking forward to get out. <laughs> no, she really didn't want to go. Uh, she loves Jordan Peele. I love Jordan Peele. Um, uh, I haven't seen every Key and Peele episode, but every Key and Peele episode I've loved, I've seen loved. Yeah, me too. Um, I really, it gets compared to the Chappelle show a lot. I really see it more as the successor to Mr. Show in terms of like sustained high quality because mm-hmm. Chappelle had amazingly amazing sketches. And then it had uh, some sketches that just kind of fell really flat. So it could be, it could be pretty uneven at times. 
Um, whereas Key and Peele, there's just about every sketch on Key and Peele. There's something about it that really impresses me. And, uh, and nothing impresses me more than, uh, than Jordan Peele, frankly. I've always, um, I, I, I've always kind of compared him to Bob Odenkirk in that um, they're, they're in these sketch comedy shows where it's a comedy team. And I don't even, I don't even know the mad TV stuff, but, um, Keegan, Keegan, Michael what key? key? Ke- I keep Keegan, Michael Keegan's, key. I keep who's, on wanting to say Keegan Scott key. Who's, yeah. <laughs> who's, a, who's a powerhouse in his own right. So he's like David Cross. He's like this yeah. enormously talented, uh, extremely funny and in his own way, a brilliant performer. Uh, and then you have, uh, Bob Odenkirk and Jordan Peele, who are a little bit overshadowed, but um, the, we used to talk about Bob Odenkirk, uh, just like you'd watch him and you would just see this comedy IQ yeah. at work. Like he didn't have the raw talent of David Cross. He can't do the big stuff. He can't sing. He can't do voices or impressions. <laughs> like you can't yeah. point to any like particular uh talent he has except that he's just kind of naturally funny when he's yelling or he's mad yeah i have always let i've always liked them both but i would say i I lean much more to odenkirk than to cross but i would say that cross is a better performer he's a better actor he can he can suddenly get wide-eyed and you just brings you into that to empathize with him and but i think i think odenkirk's the better comedian i think he's a you watch you watch Odenkirk and every little move he makes yeah. is perfect. Yeah. You know? It is. It's, it's every little bit is perfect. And you can tell you can see like it's not and it's not like really like overt like I'm acting in an artificial way. It's that he doesn't do anything unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, nothing's way he does is like how could how could that not be done? Like every choice he makes is perfect, perfectly placed. Yeah, nothing is wasted. Nothing is done as a toss-off. Yeah, it's calculated and and perfect. Yeah, and Peel Jordan Peel is like that to me. In in Key and Peel is is his his is the stuff that cracks me up because he'll just there'll be some like really tiny subtle thing he'll do that like adds like a ton of depth to the character. Mm-hmm. And like supplies like some motivation to what he's saying or something. I don't know. I can't even I can't characterize it. But it's just like something he'll do that like, oh yeah, someone else would have overlooked that possibility. Right. Or but oh, he added it right there. Yeah. Or overdone. And it was just, like, the other just part. really tiny. Yeah, overdone it or oversold it. And like he's not he never oversells I mean he does oversell something because he's he plays really broadly sometimes. But um but there's some things he'll do, it'll just be like a twinkle of the eye or just like a turning of the head or something. He's like some tiny little thing. It's like, it's just perfect. It kills me. He kills me. Well, uh, those scenes where he's doing Wendell in the huge fat suit where he's, it's just like the, the slightest widening of his eyes or the yeah. freezing of his lips. That kills me. Yeah. Or just like he'll twitch his eyes back and forth. Like yeah. he just reveals like some inner turmoil or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's so good. Yeah, yeah, he he knocks me out uh, on a regular basis on that show. So I was really, um, really excited to 
to see it. And Catherine was too. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking about how I got my wife to see the movie. So, <laughs> uh, so we saw Keanu uh, only last week. We meant to, and we mm. finally got around to it. And, uh, and we were both really disappointed by it. We, we, we I don't know. Um, we can talk about Keanu later, but, um, and he was co-writer on that film. I'm like, Oh no. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know what's going on with Keanu, but, um, well, I, I, but, I really wonder. Get Out, I thought, delivered. So I, I talked her into going, and her, her friend saw it um, a couple days before and told her, it's really good. You have to go see it. I'm teaching it in my class. She teaches at Yale. Oh. This is Zarina. You know Zarina. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. That's great. Zarina Grewal, uh, producer and director of By the Dawn's Early Light. Yeah, I didn't realize she was teaching at Yale. That's awesome. A documentary about Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, the basketball player in the 90s who uh, caused a bit of controversy by not coming out of the locker room for the national anthem and whose name is coming up a lot now with the Colin Timely. Kaepernick. Uh, yeah. Colin Kaepernick. I did, a little, uh, I did a little camera work for Serena on that. You, and you were, you have a credit on By the Dawn's Early Light. My first, I think. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie. I, As someone who I wasn't into sports, I didn't realize that he was uh, suffered from Tourette's and it was really fascinating to watch him as a professional public figure handle himself with this uh this particular affliction it was interesting yeah it's a good it's a good documentary you should check it out i at, at the law school where i work so many professors stopped me in the hall and said have you seen get out and i said yeah i just saw it last night oh really and they're like we have to talk we have to talk about it i'm on my way to class but we will have to talk about it <laughs> and um and yeah it's like they're they're it's it's thrilled that all these um you know law professors are like really championing it in, in their classes because they're like you really need to see this movie because I, I speaking okay full disclosure if you couldn't tell uh we are two uh caucasian men so yes um uh, i am one you know, of the can... caucasian men what <laughs> wait <laughs> is the other the other so um i'm not going to pretend to say that now I am uh, fully in tune with the black American experience, you know, so, so if I, if I say anything to that effect, know that I, obviously I realize I don't know what I'm talking about cause I'm not living it, but, um, speak for uh, yourself, Wade. <laughs> hey, you know what? I will. I'm speaking for myself. The, the, the plot ends up being such a great allegory for, you know, telling us what that experience to have one, your body, uh, controlled, and then also your very uh, expression of self imprisoned, you know, silenced and, and, and to where your own body is your prison. Yeah. It's... We have to get into to this more. I agree. <sighs> I am. Uh, I wouldn't say allegory. I would say, um, Oh no. Yeah. I would say, cause at some point it stops being a metaphor and it just becomes kind of pure poetry. Yeah. Where it's, I'm sorry. It was the wrong it, word. Because right. we'll, we'll, we'll get this. It reached a point where I'm like, I don't even know what this, what specifically this is speaking to, except I have to assume it's just the personal experience of someone who has to live this every day in a way that I never have. Right. Because I'm, I'm not a big fan of horror movies either. Um, even though it's funny, um, I saw, was it on GQ or Esquire? Some publication had uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, it was a listicle of the horror films. Well, of the, I think that it was called the horror films that 
were inspirations for Get Out. And strangely, I had seen every single one of them, except for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was the one non-horror film uh, on the list. So I'm not a big consumer of, of horror films per se, but I do love horror, the horror films that are kind of known for uh, expressing like very specific societal tensions. Yeah, yes. The best and most effective horror films are obviously the ones that are pointing out the tremors in our cultures, in our society right now. They're always the ones that s stay with us. And, and, and What's your it, favorite one of those? Oh, boy, I don't know. Have I talked about this before? I, um, this isn't my favorite horror movie, but I, I really like it. James Gunn's Slither, which is really entertaining and a, a really grody movie. Um, I have not seen that one. It's apparent to me when watching it, and I haven't heard many people talk of this, but the 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 cycle, there's there's a lot of like phallic and sperm cell like imagery in this movie, and oh. and well, um, I am gonna watch it. <laughs> it's weirdo, but the um the cycle of what it does to people in the movie, it's clear that the it's a horror movie that's written because the writer feels guilty about what men biologically do to women during pregnancy. Oh, it's like, it's like, it's like, this is kind of, this is, I, I'm uncomfortable with what I know I'm giving you this expression of love. And then it's going to do this thing to your body. It's like a razor head, but a few months earlier and with empathy. Right. <laughs> and then, um, uh, uh, it follows, is another one kind of like Get Out. Have you seen It Follows? No, I've heard it's really it's good. It's so though. good. It's it's good. It, it's like it, I say it's like Get Out only in the sense that like it's po a point where it's like not really even really a metaphor anymore. It's well, like I didn't know I, I didn't even know it was a metaphor. For, I didn't know it was one of those. I just uh, thought it was like well, it, supposed it to be good for being a good scary movie. Yeah, it's it's the only movie I'd seen up until that point that haunted me in a very good way. Uh, long after I saw it because it's 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 getting that feeling of what it's like to live in terror of like a like a social disease Ugh, it's a social disease you mean like herpes like, like an STD yeah a sexually transmitted oh. disease and that specter that looms over you and it's 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 terrifying because it's it's it will never end it's a life imprisonment basically and and so um, it's really good. But um, it's funny you say that because when you said uh, that that it haunted you in a good way, my first thought was, like the scared straight program. <laughs> yeah, I, I've often thought maybe this this that uh, it follows should be shown to young boys and girls as sex ed and go, yeah. But you also don't want to fuck up their entire lives because <laughs> it's it would do that. Um. The the tale that comes to mind the most when you ask that question was, uh, I was I never liked zombie movies before. I was never a zombie movie person. I just didn't. Not even the first one. Yeah, well, I appreciated that one. Scared the heck out of me, but I didn't like like them. I didn't like. I recognized it, the Night of the Living Dead as being like one of the scariest movies ever, but I didn't. I I didn't go gaga for it, and I just never sought out a zombie movie. Or a body snatcher movie, really. And then when George Bush won the second election, I won't say he his, he was elected a second time. 
I'll say when he won the second election in 2004, I suddenly just couldn't get enough of them. I couldn't get enough of any zombie movie or any body snatching movie. I was watching The Faculty and Vision of the Body Snatchers and all the all the George Romero zombie movies. I finally you saw and the John the Dead. rest of the country, apparently. Yeah, it was like it was it was suddenly like any movie where people that look like who people that I thought were somebody, but turned out they weren't. Suddenly, I just could not get enough. And but it all got kicked off by the first one I saw when I went to. I I'd moved to Austin, um, but um, Texas at one point, and uh, when I went down to visit a a friend of mine who lived down there, he took me to my first experience at the Alamo Draft House, which is by far my favorite place on the entire planet. Um, I love that place more than <laughs> I just love it so much, and and I took you, I believe. You did when when you came down and visited me. We saw. Thank you for smoking. That's right. And uh, and uh, you could tell that story a little bit later because that's a good one. Uh, the but I my first experience there was Land of the Dead, George Romero's Land of the Dead, which I don't know if people I don't know if people are gonna find this weird or not, but that's my favorite George Romero. That's my favorite zombie movie. Is Land of the Dead? Hmm, never it's seen it. It's really good. Um, it's every frame is packed with social commentary. My my favorite part of the whole movie. Uh, is when they're setting up the world in the beginning, everyone's in this tower, like in, in, in somewhere in Pittsburgh. So they've got this one skyscraper and then they've built a wall around the skyscraper and all the rich live in the skyscraper and all the poor live in a camp out around the skyscraper. So they've, they've done the, they've got the class distinctions again. And okay. so the rich hire the poor to get, you know, armed to the teeth and get into trucks and drive outside the gates into where all the zombies are. And, and rich is in, they control the food supply or yeah, well, what's making well, them rich. Exactly. It's not well, Benjamins anymore. No, but they, they, they have done what they can to keep the hierarchy in place. And so what they're doing is they're, they're tempting the poor with, you can come live in our big, t- we'll let you in to live in our tower. If you do these certain things for us. And then of course they never do. We'll let you put stars on your bellies. Right. And so um, they send them out into... That's a, that's a Sneetch's reference. For... <laughs> they, they, um, they send them out of the walls in their, tank, in their trucks to go out to, get, to steal supplies from all the abandoned stores that are in zombie-infested areas. So they're going out to grab beer and chips and, you know... Um, well, they're just essentials because they can't stay very long. But if they can get some of the higher value items like alcohol and cigars for the rich, then that gets them in good favor, basically. So they go out and they they um, there's this brilliant part. And this came out in 2006, I think, in 2005, 2006. Well, how they're able to go into these places without getting a swarm of zombies on top of them is they, they, they launch fireworks, which they call star flowers. So they launch the star flowers in the skies and these big red, white, and blue starbursts are going off and all the zombies just stop and they just look up at the, at the fireworks and they're transfixed. And they're, and they're like, we don't know what it is about the star flowers, but the zombies, they can't take their eyes off it. And so, so they call them star flowers because it's been so long since yeah, the zombie apocalypse started that like we're a generation later and yeah. nobody, nobody calls them fireworks. 
Uh, yeah, like nobody he, remembers a time. I think it was to separate the 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 point they're making just one step remove, so it's not so on the nose. But they they basically fire the fireworks in the air. All the zombies stop and stare, and then they run into the store and steal everything out from under them and get back in their trucks and go away. Okay, and it's like if that wasn't the best metaphor for what was happening to America. <laughs> I don't know what is. Ooh, patriotism, fireworks, America, and then they're going and stealing everything they can. And oh yeah, the okay. So it's, it's not just bread and circuses, but yeah, it's a yeah. patriot. Oh, very good. Yeah. So it's it's just like, and so Land of the Dead is one of the many George Romero movies where, um, his sympathies aren't always with the living. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. But a, a lot of uh, people I talk to when I mention Get Out and I say, and we talk about how much we love it, they say, well, you know, I wouldn't really call it a horror movie. Really? Yeah. They, they all go, well, it's more of a suspense thriller. And I think a lot of people, I don't know if they're doing that because they want to, feels like it's classier to like, to like it because it's, if it's a thriller. And, and they, I said, well, what makes it not a horror movie? And he said, they, they say, well, I was the he, one person in particular was like, well, there's, there's no monster. There's no creature. There's no, there's not <sighs> a lot of blood and gore. And I'm like, but have they you, never seen Halloween? Exactly. And I went, so and I, that's actually, I brought that up as specifically, but I went, you know, but it's horrifying. Is it not? <laughs> the events, <laughs> the events that transpire are beyond horrible. It's immeasurable cruelty. It's got a uh, jump scare in it. It's a horror movie. Yeah, it's a total horror movie. I am not shying away from that in the slightest. Bit. I'm not. I'm not. I'm oh. not yelling at you. Wade. Oh yeah, I know. I know. I'm yelling at him. I'm yelling at and, him. And by the way, if Some, you had, is if this you what had, you learned in law school? <laughs> yeah. You know, two to uh, go back ten years. There are two things you could say to me that I that I would never have believed about the future. One, that Donald Trump would be our president although I can certainly see how it went there. And two, two of the best horror movies that come out in a decade, both star Bradley Whitford. <laughs> okay. Who's Bradley Whitford? He's the dad. He's the dad in get out. Okay. I was, well, I was trying to figure out the whole movie where I knew him from. And I kept thinking Jerry from twin peaks, but he seems uh, too know. tall. If, if you were I'm not a... very good at placing actors and actresses. I think, I, I, I'm not as familiar with the things he's most known for. Like he was on the West wing. He was yeah, on, um, um, he, he was like the big player in the West wing. Uh, he, he was on, he was on a show. I really liked called trophy wife. That was a terrible, I think the title turned people off, but it was a really funny show. Um, he's been around, but he was in cabin in the woods which actually is a spoiler in itself. I should have, shouldn't have, because uh, just because I had no idea he was in that movie until the first frame, and then you're standing there, and and they get a whole big conversation between Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins, and you're like, wait, wait, am I, am I watching a different movie? <laughs> you have you seen Cabin in the Woods? I have. Oh, I I love Cabin in the Woods. It's I I liked it a lot. Um, I don't remember. Well, I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, do you remember well, the two, the two control, the two people in the control center that yeah. we follow the most? One was Richard Jenkins and the other was Bradley Whitford. The guy who and wanted the, to, wanted to see the guy who wanted to see the merman. He kept betting on the merman and then eventually was eaten by the merman. <laughs> okay. 
I guess there's a lot about that movie I don't remember. I, don't, I remember there being like a, a false start to the movie of some kind, but I can't remember yeah. like structurally. Well, it was only a false happened. start. It was only a false start in the sense that it was not in the marketing. Like you, 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 you see the marketing for teenagers go into the woods to, to a cabin and something happens and then they're like arguing about like workplace policy or yeah. something, right? Yeah, they're at they're at the vending machine and they're arguing about workplace policy and somebody's maternity leave and what the kids are going to do and they get in a little golf cart and they're driving around the underground area. Yeah, and then it just goes cabin in the woods. <laughs> right. Like, what is this? So he's one of those guys. He's yeah. He's one okay. of those. He's the brown hair. I've r- rarely seen him with white hair, so this was a, a different look. But he's he's perfectly cast in this, in Get Out. He is perfectly cast. Like the whole movie's perfectly cast. The whole movie I was think. really well cast. Um, I'm not an Allison Williams fan, um, even though I'm a big fan of Girls. Um, but she's so good in this movie. She's. She's perfect in this. And, I mean, she's she was perfectly okay. cast in this movie. One but, of the things I can't stand about her, like I, I hated her as Peter Pan. I thought she, I don't Peter hold Pan. it against her. I thought she gave a game performance, but to me, she just has these dead wooden eyes. We said Peter Pan. Yeah, when they did the live, uh, you know, NBC. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't are they all still NBC? A... When they did the live yeah. Peter Pan, she was Peter Pan. Wow. Uh, yeah. And she wasn't terrible, but she wasn't, you know. Yeah. Peter Pan is supposed to be a sprite or something. <laughs> oh, he's a boy who never grew up. Um, but he's, you know, there should be something elfin and larger than life about Peter Pan. And Allison Williams just has <laughs> these lifeless, this lifeless face to me. I just can't connect with her emotionally ever. So, Allison Williams, if you're listening, you can contact us at... <laughs> <laughs> and we could discuss Sorry. your lifeless face. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure she's a very nice person. I'm yeah, you know. And she's good as Marnie. I mean, she's, you know, she's oh, cast yeah, yeah, well yeah. on that show and she was cast uh I, I thought she was cast brilliantly. I thought I thought her performance was was really good in this movie. I mean, and she, and a big obviously a big spoiler if you didn't hear our heat our spoiler before, you're crazy. I remember leaving the movie going I thought I felt like I was disappointed that she was involved, but how could she not be involved in the whole thing? And then I went, no wait, I'm not disappointed in the movie. I'm heartbroken because that's what this is. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken for him and for me that she was was setting him up the whole time. Like it was all a ploy. The whole relationship was a ruse. And the thing that I thought was so perfect was her reactions to. Her reaction as a white woman to the little discriminations and big discriminations and just general things that a a black American has to endure, her reactions to those are my reactions, which is this kind of outrage and I can't believe someone has to do this and da da da. And but to the black American, it's well, yeah, this is what we deal with every day. My the the outrage you're having is kind of quaint, almost a little insulting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because you're like, this is something that 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 is atypical when it's um, pervasive. And um, so her reactions would be my reactions. And they were they were they were perfectly done in that in that regard. And and then to have her 
but then you go back and you look think back to the movie those reactions were also her own self-protection under the new light so like take the the big thing in the beginning when the when they when they hit and they hit the deer which i didn't i wasn't aware that that in the south the term uh buck was a slur against black people i didn't oh. realize that that was a slur so the whole conversation about them taking out as many hey i think you did a good thing take it out as many as you can get rid of the bucks you know that that bradley whitford says to him when they first get there you know was it was already uncomfortable enough i didn't need that extra bit for that not to be to land as uncomfortable <laughs> but um anyway um when they're yeah, that's pull- one i was uh thankfully unfamiliar with yeah me too well Am I um, thankful? I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the cop had was asking for his license. And Allison Williams says, no, he wasn't driving. He shouldn't have to give over his license. You know, and they have that whole exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're taking it from the point of view as the implied racism from the cop, which it might very well, which probably was, and, and that she's standing up for him. But really, when you in the new in the context of the events of the movie, you realize no, she doesn't want him to give over the license because it would be a trail, paper trail, that he was there. Like, if the cop takes the license and runs the, oh, the, the, the never card... never thought of that. Yeah, runs the card. Um, and I have to give this out to uh, to Professor Beth Colgan for, for cluing me into that because I didn't think oh, about it either. So law like, school does teach you some good yeah, things. Yeah, Beth Colgan's pretty awesome. If you're listening, we enjoy our conversations because they're always geeky. <laughs> Um, so, and then later when this, when the brother, when her brother is talking about martial arts and he gets up at the table and he starts to get, try to get him in a headlock and the parents say, don't, you know, shoo him away. And then the brother's like, you know, I wasn't going to hurt him. There are two things going on there. Obviously they don't want to hurt the quote unquote merchandise that they are going to sell later, which is just horrifying. I hate that I had to put it that way, but then also, they've you know the reveal that the brother is the one in the mask who steals, who grabs people off the street and puts them in the trunk, as they saw in the beginning of the movie. That's what he was going to do right there. He doesn't like this whole charade that they put on. He was probably going to drag him down to the basement right then, mm-hmm. and they told him not to do it. And, you know, and so though so you look back on, it, you're like, oh, he was going to take him down right then and there. Uh is it's like I I can't wait to see it again and go through all the the Okay, so anyway, let's go let's go back. This this movie is it's so it's so tremendous. It's tremendous. It's very carefully constructed and it's really like you said, I kept thinking about it for days afterwards and kept unpacking new stuff from it. Yeah. It's 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 quite a construction. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, there's, there, and there's no, there's nothing that's like hard to parse out about it. It's just everything is, it all meets up. Everything logically fits, and there's such joy and electricity to that that I almost feel weird about how happy this movie made me, considering, <laughs> considering how horrifying and how uh, illuminating it is, keying you know white audiences into kind of what the black experience is here. Um, and I, I feel weird that this movie made me so happy because it's just, it's just so brilliantly 
made and constructed and written. It's just, oh, it's invigorating when you see what people can do. When you see what talented people who put their, who, what, what, what you can achieve. It's so fantastic. Is it as good as an OK Go video? <laughs> yes. I had the same kind of feeling after watching this as I did after that OK Go video. You're like, I can't believe what people can do. This is a great. And people you know, are amazing. <laughs> it's true. We are terrific. I love people. You. OK, should we uh, should we Let's sink into in. this one? Let's sink in. OK. Movie opens. We have. A character. Oh, we learn his name later. What was his name? Oh shoot, I know his actor's name, but I don't. Oh, I want to okay, say yeah, Andre. Was... No, because Dre was the guy that was. Um... Dre the, was the, the TSA one... guy. No, that's Roy. Uh... Um, Dre was the one who was cap. Uh, yeah, Andre was the one who was captured in the very beginning of the movie. That's who I'm talking oh, about. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the lead for some reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're in the first we're, yeah. the movie opens. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm on board right now. For once, I'm on. Not very often I remember anyone's name. So yeah, so you're right. It was. Dry. Don't rob me of this moment. Chris okay. was his name, right? And then, uh, and then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, uh, uh, Andre or, or Dre, he's walking around the suburbs, and already he's on his cell phone talking to we don't know whom. Um, and he's describing the suburbs in the way that in another horror movie, uh, the sorority sister would be describing the, the sticks, right? Right. Like, oh, it's, it's weird out here in the suburbs. Everything's like a hedge maze. Uh, I feel like everyone's looking at me. Like that's how, you know, when, when, uh, when the city kids or the college kids stop at the creepy gas station on the way out to the cabin in the woods, like the way that they the way that they feel during that first interaction with the, the rural people, right. <laughs> the, the hill, the hillbillies, what have you, like that's how this guy's talking about walking around this manicured suburb, mm-hmm. right? That that moment for me is like the movie dropping the gauntlet. Yeah, is very consciously kind of flipping horror conventions around. Which which you could also say have was flipped before because the trope in non-horror in dr- in dramatic movies or actually all movies is the white person in the black neighborhood feeling unsafe but yeah. in reality while that may be the case in reality usually the opposite is true <laughs> you know the 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 black person in the all white neighborhood has more reason to be nervous because of the way he's being watched and expected to, uh, uh, to, to be a problem. And so like, that's way more real. So it's weird how this, this, well, that's certainly flip, the point of view of this film, right? The flip of, uh, uh, of, of expectation is actually truth, <laughs> you know? And so then we get, uh, the, the white, what kind of car is this? Is this like a Pinto? Is this a Gremlin? I don't, is it? Is it yeah. an old car? I can't remember. Does it what, matter? I don't know if it. Why matters. does it matter to me? I don't know. By the it way, seems like a very conscious choice. It wasn't like, oh, it's just a normal sedan. Right, because I think it had like a hatchback of some sort, right? Yeah, it was like an older. 
car. It's like a it's period the, car. It's the one that it gets crashed in the end, so... I wonder why it was that car. Yeah. Anyway. I to remember. By the way, just... Well, we, we, I got some names wrong. Apparently, they might have called him Dre, but he's credited in uh, IMDb, the character, as Andrew Logan King. Ah, uh, so Andrew. I don't, I don't know if they called him Drew or something. Maybe... Dre is short yeah. for Andrew sometimes. I, I don't short, know. I always thought it was short for Andre, but I guess, you know, maybe it's the other way. Um, also, I got it wrong. The best friend's not Roy. It's Rod. So, uh, corrections okay. department. <laughs> so, this is my thing. Is uh, Like I say, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make this podcast about my experience watching the film. And so, I don't <laughs> do – I do as little research as possible. Right. Which makes me feel really foolish sometimes uh, in the course of the conversation. It's about our but uninformed I'm... experiences. <laughs> well, I don't. Uh, I, I don't. I generally don't like to read about movies before I see them. Right. I like to go in as fresh as possible, uh, and then I don't want to get caught in the course of talking about it, just ending up parroting, parroting somebody else's what somebody else has said about it. Right. You know, I've noticed that. Um, I think I've done this before where I, if I say parroting or parodying, <laughs> it sounds the same. Like, uh, also I think in episode one, I said tonally tone is in speaking of the tone of the film and it kept sounding like I was saying totally and I was saying <laughs> tonally. So let me say, I totally uh, get it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I don't want to be parroting as in doing what a parrot does um, to, to what someone else has said about this film. So that's why I don't do any reading. And right. So sorry, everybody. Also, I'm lazy and have no time. Anyway, going on. So this white car pulls up uh, and is blaring the song, which I did not recognize. Did you recognize it? I don't remember. Don't remember what it was. But you don't remember what it was. It was, um, well, I mean, it sounded like some, like, 1952, like, some pre-rock <laughs> uh, and roll pop song. And the guy singing, it's nothing I've ever heard before, but it sounded like kind of like a Perry Como kind of song, except a little, it was upbeat, little ditty. Um, and I think he's singing Run, Rabbit, Run. Oh, boy. Which, that's a John Updike novel, right? I don't know. Um, not that I've read it. It's also an Eminem song in reference to uh, 8 Mile. I think it's on the soundtrack. I think it might just be called Rabbit Run. That might be the name of the John yeah. Updike novel. Just Rabbit Run. I think um, that's right. And the guy's singing Run, Rabbit Run, although I couldn't make out anything else he was singing. But it's uh, this car pulls up and it's blaring this song, like conspicuously loud, like egregiously, audaciously loud. <laughs> If you're trying to sneak up on somebody, you wouldn't play the song this loud, which reminded me of, have you seen Zodiac? No, I haven't. Ah, oh, Zodiac's a great movie. Um, anyway, reminded me of Zodiac, uh, where a similar thing happens right in the beginning, so I'm not. I should have told you right in the beginning. You would have thought it was coming later, and then you would have been surprised it was right in the beginning. Anyway, <laughs> and then uh, this guy gets grabbed from behind, and by somebody wearing all white, which we find out later is maybe a uh, lacrosse uniform, right? Or a polo uniform? Yeah, it's... polo. He's he's holding a lacrosse, a lacrosse uh, right. net, 
you call that a net or a staff or I don't know, lacrosse equipment. Is that what the country club set wears when they're playing lacrosse? I don't know. We're white, but we're not that white. It looks like, well, I'm not, I'm not that class. You're right, right, right. Exactly. Class, which is really more what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I see his all white and I think more like country club tennis or, yeah. uh, but he's got a lacrosse thing. And then I, later we see this mask come up. Was he wearing that mask in that scene? That kind of knight-ish mask? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. And we never How did see, not see that? We never see that mask again until the end, which is... How, how did I not notice he was wearing a shiny metal mask? It was quick. It was quick, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I was watching the film. I didn't cover my eyes. I didn't recognize... I don't recall him wearing all white. I just remember him wearing that mask. Okay, I was focused on the fact that he was wearing all white. I guess I was looking for the 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 metaphors already. Yeah, because of um, I, I I thought to myself, if he was wearing all white, why didn't I immediately just jump to the fact that it's the brother, which I, you know, because the brother shows up wearing all white, right? Yeah, isn't he wearing like all cream colors? I want to say he's wearing all white. Hmm. Maybe that's not till later. I don't know. And well, you know, that's that's it's it's interesting that that you mentioned the thing about the no twist because. Pretty much, you know, even before the movie begins, what little we know about the movie, what happens is what we assume will happen in a very broad stroke, that this family is doing something fucked up and terrible. And right. and it's not a surprise. So why is it? In fact, it's what we expect. It's, you just don't know what it is. You just don't know what exactly it is they're doing. And I love how Rod isn't terribly far off. I know. <laughs> he, he's almost he's, right on the money. <laughs> he's almost there. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you just don't know. Well, right. If it weren't for that opening scene, what follows, it would just be, oh, this is kind of creepy. There's suspenseful. You're trying to figure it out. But it's 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 tipped its hand uh, right at the beginning. And so, right, and so you know, like, well, somebody, somebody in this story uh, uh, grabs black people and abducts them. Um, yeah. But I guess Or it's, just it's, kills them, just in a, straight up murders them. In a way, it's a bit of misdirect because you think to yourself, well, then, well, maybe it's, maybe this family is not doing it because if they were doing this to black, to, to people, to black people, why isn't it happening what, what, why, like, this is obviously a violent aggressor here. And then there's this, but then why would anybody doing like a soft bit of subterfuge if they are violent aggressors? And, um, I, I love the fact that, that it's not your stereotypical, well, not stereotypical because that implies that it's, it doesn't have a lot of truth to it. I like the fact that the, the main antagonists are wealthy white liberals, and not yeah. and not your 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 hate spewing cross burning the not rednecks they're not they're not they're on not... the nose they are i don't think that it's an act that he would have voted for obama a third time exactly i think he he's really telling, would have he's telling the truth he's telling the truth yeah yeah and so yeah they really do um yeah they really do think tiger was the best they ever saw yeah and 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 the and I'm jumping they, ahead. I'm jumping ahead they're, here. Uh, they're they're managing to other. They're admiring black people to the extent that they're still otherizing them. 
Right. Right. And, right. And, and I'm jumping ahead here. I apologize, but I think it's it's apropos. The one of the I think the biggest strokes of genius in the movie is when he's uh, being told what's happening, going to happen to him. And Stephen Root. Yes. Stephen Root is talking to him on the monitor and he says, why black people? And Stephen Root's answer is, oh, who knows? <laughs> it's that's amazing because there's so much in there of this ah who knows why it is this the way it is or whatever like 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 they don't it's so is endemic and systemic they don't even recognize it as being like oh do we only do black people yeah. it's like <laughs> or, oh, yeah. like i can't help the fact that it's black people we do it too right it's just, just the way it is and it's like it's just like all, the natural order it's of just things the natural order it's like yeah it's like it's like to them it's not even racism but it so is and then also you, you got all that that amazing kind of weird shame worship of like you'd think that the main villains would be like we gotta rid rid the place of black people because they're not as perfect as white people are but there's really this kind of you know shame at inferiority complex of like of seeing the genetic superiority and like wanting that. <laughs> and so we be put inside this. It, it's so, there's so much in that little statement. Um, and then you think all the things about the father, you know, losing to Jesse Owens and all these ingrained things that you just can't get over. Um, and it just so happens that this process, they're using it on just black people. Who knows? Who knows? So why. did you really see it as an inferiority complex? I think that's part of it. I mean, there's always been a, I mean, built into this, uh, into the culture's racism has been a, a sort of self body shaming in a way of them feeling genetically inferior to people of African descent. And you, but you think um, uh, like a white supremacist movement is like projecting or... <laughs> Uh, overcompensating or, or oh, absolutely what? absolutely yeah. i mean i think that's i think that's also part of the fuel there is like that rejection of that feeling or sentiment and because uh, in this movie they're coming these people in this movie are they're coming out and saying uh with your genetic right superiority but our persistence which yeah. is you know with your body and our mind essentially yeah so they're 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 at once saying your you're, raw materials and our intelligence. Yeah, exactly. You guys, you are superior to us genetically, but we are superior mentally. And oh, it's so all heinous. The um, the uh, yeah, it's funny. I didn't I didn't read it as a, an inferiority complex. I'm sorry to interrupt, but okay. I want to get back to this. Um, just because for me, like the creepiest line of whole movie, it was in that same segment where he's 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 strapped down in the chair and they're um, they're in. Phase two, is this phase two? I forget yeah. what the phases were. Um, and there's a little um, uh, introductory video. It reminded me of uh, the Dharma Initiative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, videos on Lost. Um, when the uh, patriarch, the grandfather, we find out, it's the it opens with a shot of him from behind, and he's raising his arms and saying, "Is there anything more beautiful than the sunrise?" Like for that, mm. for me, like that was the the creepiest line oh, in the whole wow. movie because it comes out of nowhere. It's not like apropos of anything. Yeah. But it fits perfectly tonally tonally with, uh, <laughs> with, with these 
that these people's sense of themselves is that they what they see themselves as doing is something beautiful, yeah, and as natural as anything else, right? Uh, is that you say it as inferiority complex, but I saw it as like they they see themselves as uh, like this is the liberal the, the next step towards a liberal paradise, right? Is oh, that no. we're going to combine the best of everyone, yeah. Uh, and, and like this is like the next step towards a natural progression for the human race. Uh, and we're going to become all become more beautiful and unified this way or something like, you know, well, and that in a sense of of uh, we're going to be equals now, because clearly that's not what the, what it's about. But just that it's. Well, yeah, they see it as a progressive movement in, in that sense. Uh, I don't have this. I don't have this articulated really well, but because I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't. I I I, I struggle <laughs> to think the way that these characters are thinking. That's I right. Think. They they think what they're doing is as good and as beautiful as the sunrise. Right. 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 And yeah. it's it's like in another movie, these would be like religious zealots, but it's not like there's no spirituality. It, you know, this could have been a cult. This could have been yeah. depicted as a as a cult. Even if it wasn't a religious cult, like a kind of madness that overtook these people or it infected them or somehow. But no, like this was for them, this was like the natural next step. Well, and they think I mean, yeah. they think the fact that I would put my brain in a black person's body shows how much I'm not racist. <laughs> how progressive I am. And I'm going to. Yeah. And don't worry, we'll leave. A, we'll lead a wonderful life with me at the helm. It's going to be fine. That's how comfortable I am with black people is that's <laughs> I'm only I'm only putting my brain in a black person. <laughs> I'm not going to touch any white bodies. I'm it's only going to take over black bodies because that's how much yeah. I respect. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of fucked up thinking in this in, in this. The, the and, that, and, and so that's like a metaphor for what for like um like appropriation cultural appropriation right and trying to. What 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 is that well, saying? Well, I, so where I feel really stupid that we don't have. <laughs> here's two white guys trying to right. <laughs> well, like well, we could have a conversation with uh, an African with one of our friends. Yeah, exactly, and say, hey, hey, we're all well. Here we are talking about, you know, denying uh, denying people their voices, and then we're still having we're having the talk for them. Yeah. <laughs> So we, yeah, we can invite any you number would, of our friends on to, to have this conversation. You're listening to this but, you're right now. Your headphones are your sunken place while we yeah. <laughs> try to see through your eyes. Sorry, sorry about sorry that. Sorry about that, everyone. But, but I was very conscious of that while watching the movie. Yeah, that, yeah. Because like everything, uh, all these things in it, like felt like really kind of direct metaphors. And then we get to that hypnotism scene, and then he goes in the sunken place. I'm like, what the fuck is the sunken place a metaphor for? If it, it feels like, it feels like a kind of a poetic image for a feeling maybe that you have oh, yeah. to live in yeah it's the thing where you that are... i can't like i can't relate to and so i don't i can't like decode it properly but i started to think is it a metaphor for me watching this movie right now <laughs> <laughs> where i think yeah. by watching this movie i'm seeing through a black person's eyes <laughs> and really i'm not i'm it's still a total seeing, sham you're, you're still seeing it through your eyes yeah yeah wow yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the, the when you when you think about you living in the sunken place for the rest of your life while someone else is walking around in your body, you are literally unheard and you are ignored. And you can sometimes when you 
bubble the, bubble all the force of your everything, you can sometimes eke something through, but it doesn't doesn't always read as what it is, or hardly ever yeah. would read what it is. It's it's like oh that's that's heartbreakingly equivalent, you know. To, well, this is the yeah. brilliance of that lead actor's performance. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, is that how you say his name? I'm not sure. Bad I thought his performance was a was genius. It is it's, in this movie because it's like he's in the sunk. I guess this is what it. Maybe this is what it is. Is that he's in the sunken place from the beginning? You know, like anytime a conflict arises between uh, him and uh, uh, Rose, mm-hmm. his girlfriend, like she'll she'll speak up on his behalf to like the police officer and stuff. But if he's tries if he ever tries to speak up for himself. She always shuts him right down. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so then, then he, he has to. He, yeah, he has to act like he, he has, has, He's ex, he's expected to always act like there's no conflict. Right. Right. No matter yeah. how uncomfortable people are making, he has to say that's eh, nothing, no big deal. Like, okay, I'm just gonna smile. I'm just gonna like swallow. Yeah. All my feelings right now and choke them down. They can be mad for him, but he if he expresses any anger, then he could be seen as a threat. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's like, holy shit, what, what's going on? What, why are you, why are you making a big deal out of this? Why are you, you making know? a big deal? It's something it's like, but let us be angry for you. And like, yeah. 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 And same thing, same thing. So I guess no. that's the sunken place. Yeah, it is. And, and, and you know, women experience the same sort of thing where like they, they, if they get angry, then men freak out and they're, Oh, well, she's a bitch, you know? But yeah. they, so they have to, everything has to be cool. Men can be angry because then they're like, oh, I'm being, uh, I'm passionate about this. If a woman gets angrily passionate about something, it's like, oh, you're a fucking bitch. <laughs> right. It's like, what the hell? The whole, the whole, you should smile more. Yeah. Thing. yeah. You're so pretty when you smile. It's like, well, yeah, the whole fucking world is like, is terrified of an angry woman. <laughs> yeah. We can't have that. I mean, that's what, that's what Blue it. Lives Matter means, right? Is, yeah, we know. We know black people are getting killed, but just shut up about it, will you? Yeah, just shut up. Right. Well, that, I mean, I mean, this all there's Don't actually be angry a, in your own neighborhood, right? You know. Well, the, there was a. Um, I'm sure you watched the. Um, well, the the. I think Trevor Noah really stepped into the a mantle of a really great interviewer with his uh, Tony. Le- oh God, I don't know where her last name is, because I block her out because I really cannot. My skin crawls when I'm around here. The 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 woman who told me Lardman on the Blaze, she actually just got banned from the Blaze. She's the like twenty early twenties like super alt right pundit who just she looks like a cheerleader and she just says the most angry, hate filled, horrifying things. And um, she was she got a lot of press and kick from uh, um, her comments about and I I I'd never remember the name. The, who's the uh, uh, football player who who took a knee during the anthem? Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick, right. So, yeah, she just felt like he was Or worse. as Professor Zarina Grewal has called him on ESPN's Between the Lines, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been calling him Kaepernick, too. I think she was confusing him with Copernicus. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what rolls off the tongue. So Kaepernick, apparently, in her eyes, is in, in Tomy's eyes, is worse than Hitler for taking a knee and uh, not saluting the flag. Well, that's so, a provocative statement. Yeah. So she came on the Daily Show 
And Trevor Noah had been talking about her for quite some time. And he had this great discussion with her where he was like, look, okay, so here are unarmed black men getting shot dead. And that's not seen as disgraceful and shameful. But yet him silently protesting by not saluting the flag is shameful and disgraceful. So he was like, okay. So he's like, so tell me, you thought this was an inappropriate form of protest. And she's like, absolutely it was. And so, and and so, but you don't like these big demonstrations of, of black, you don't like the violent uh, rebuttal. So, so what type of protest can black people do that you're comfortable with? And she just never could give an answer because it was like, this seems like the most peaceful yeah. and non-threatening form of protest. And you guys the answer are, is don't be visible. Yeah, the answer is don't right? be visible. Exactly. Be be invisible. Yeah. Be invisible. If you have a problem, shut the hell up and be invisible. And um and so that was all on my mind during all these things with the sunken place as well. Just a little side note: this uh, Tommy person um apparently just got first suspended, now banned from her network because she went on the View. She said, "I I, I can't be." Uh, she was talking about pro life people, and she said, "Look, I can't be a hypocrite." And say that I'm for a smaller government and then tell people that they they're not in control of their own bodies. So I'm pro-choice. And that apparently enraged her conservative colleagues so much at the station they banned her. So my thought was, you know, that's the worst thing an alt-right politician or a pundit can do is apply their own logic. Because once they apply their own logic to a, to a certain social uh, issue, then their own people go apeshit. You just have to follow your party line thing, not the logic of it. <laughs> I just I think I just think so much of that. Wow, I guess this is hmm, what this relates to the metaphor in, in, in the movie. I think yeah. so much of that is just uh, a failure. Is it just like a, a, a personality trait that makes it impossible or is it a resistance to seeing the world through another person's eyes? It's it's to just have whatever you're feeling at this moment confirmed and not one, not label as bad and two, not disagreed with. And yeah. Three, with not opposed. Point not being opposed. the key term being your feelings, your feelings unopposed. You know? yeah. So all these people, all these people that are calling other people snowflakes and cucks and saying that they can't handle other people's opinions and feelings and they're wearing their fuck your feelings shirt like you said they're the ones that if you just even breathe a mention of of having a different opinion they lose their minds they lose their minds and become incredibly violent and it's 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 terrifying uh my favorite example of of this is on um on breitbart.com which i do read on occasion uh there is uh an, a, a pretty amazing article called a uh this is from may of 2016 so before uh while while steve bannon was still ceo and publisher of breitbart um uh, it's an article co-written by uh, milo yiannopoulos um and so this represents both their point of views. At least Bannon was willing to publish it, and he was very hands-on as a publisher at Breitbart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was called uh, what was it called an establishment conservatives guide to the alt right. So this is a primer written by uh, you know a mouthpiece for the the alt right on the website, which Bannon would uh, only two months later say was a platform for the alt right, describing itself uh, for an uh, a, an establishment conservative audience. Um, although it, it does a lot of bashing of uh, liberals for uh, their feelings first philosophy, but then goes on to say when talking about ah, what issue, I think it's talking about nationalism um, and it's trying to insert a, a, a scrim <laughs> <laughs> between themselves and like neo-Nazis by saying like, well, we're not, we're not like neo-Nazis. Anyone who thinks that the alt-right is neo-Nazis is a moron because uh, neo-Nazis are thuggish and we're intelligent. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise um, we're indistinguishable. And so it it, it, it uh, keeps mocking the left as just being all about feelings and being feeling first. Uh, but later on, when saying about how the alt-right is different from establishment conservatives in terms of uh, nationalism and patriotism and pride in their own culture is that uh, the alt-right feels this more passionately <laughs> than conservatives. I'm like, you know, you sh come on. Like, did you read, did you read your own article twice? <laughs> like it's, 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 it's so obviously about uh, we want to be able to feel proud about being white again. And we want right. to feel pride in our, European heritage and it's all it's all about it's 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 you know what is pride but a feeling you know and then they'll try to they'll have the, their pseudo scientific uh, uh, theories about why European culture is inherently superior or whatever where their notions of uh, uh, capitalism as a judeo-christian virtue which I <laughs> haven't figured out what that means yet Anyway, where were we? We were talking about Get Out. Yes, but that's the mark of great cinema in that in this discussion of what is ostensibly a horror movie, it makes us think about all about all of this while we're watching the movie too and not impeding on it. I mean, this stuff, this is all that was all in my head watching it. Yeah. I mean, cause, right, because this isn't, this isn't a movie about Chris and Rose and their adventure. It's, a, it's about the world. We live in. We live in. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Wh while, though, it stands very solidly as a story about Chris and Rose, but why we're watching it is, is the, it's the world we live in. This is the, this is our world. And, um, God, man. Uh, and, and you know what, you, you know, with that in mind, and I'm again, breaking the format, but with that in mind, the having a, 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 such a wonderful relief at the end of the movie may counteract that, but I don't care because it was so needed. When Walter has, uh, you know, kind of taken control of his body, shoots everyone and then himself, and then he's standing, you know, Chris is there, you know, you know choking Rose. Mm -hmm. The car's on fire. The house is on fire. There's bodies all over the street. And then you see those red and blue lights roll up. Yeah. And you're just like, and, and you figure heart, it's the same cop who wanted to see his exactly. license. Exactly. Right? And your heart just goes down because you're like, God, there is no way this does not look. He's he's no way out of this for him. 
and you There's... keep waiting for that cop to come yeah, back. Yeah, I, I kept and waiting. Movie. That cop was 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 waiting on my mind the entire movie. Yeah, like you're just waiting for him to to show up, and then when that door opens, it says TSA. What? Just that was a huge cheer. That was the an earned moment. It was yeah. an earned moment. Yes. Yeah. To be like, and so exhilarating and wonderful to be. It's the T motherfucking essay. We <laughs> handle shit. But, you know, it's funny. Um, Actually, also, um, there's a great uh, podcast uh, for the, a radio station I heard, KCRW. Uh, Elvis Mitchell does a show called The Treatment. He does a half-hour show where he talks to a filmmaker or an actor or a writer. Uh, and um, he's a great interviewer. And he had Jordan Peele on, and they talked for half an hour about Get Out. And it was a really, it was a really great interview. Um, and he did bring up, um, they're talking about isolationism, uh, isolating this experience, the experiences, um, and that Chris isolates himself from Rose before all this. And, and then the times where she's like shutting him down or when he's pulling back himself, but he's even isolated himself from Rod quite a bit, you know, even his own friend, ostensibly the friend he calls for help. Yeah. You know, he, he, there are times where he, he withdraws very quickly from him. As soon as Rod starts suggesting things and gets too close, he'll immediately go, okay, bye, and hang up. Like he, and even when he gets in the car, granted, he's just been through a hell of an ordeal. So he's obviously drained, but he's not, he just kind of sits there and he gets into the car and kind of pulls away and just kind of goes into himself there. And it's not like a big joyous moment for either of them. You know, it's like he's still isolating isolates himself even from those that he does see as, cl- as being close so hmm. um kareem abdul jabbar also wrote a great article um in um it was it the hollywood reporter or variety can't remember which but he was reflecting on his on after uh, he watched get out and then the documentary i'm not your negro and he had this really amazing you should look it up um uh, uh, it's on my Facebook page, which but I encourage everyone to, to find it and look it up because it was a very, very uh, moving read of him talking about his experience and and how the, what these two movies mean for our our uh, our giving to our culture right now. It's really great. Hmm. I have to check that out. So, uh, oh, sorry, it's just a, that was, my skin was crawling after I was thinking about the beginning of the movie where he's packing to go on this trip. And she's trying to get out of him what is bothering him. And then what's bothering him is that he says, "You've not have you told your folk, your parents that your boyfriend is black?" Mm-hmm. And then I was contrasting that with the end where she's, you know, looking up new targets online, which just 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 uh, just gets this visceral and audible, you know, reaction out of the crowd in that scene. It's oof. Um. But uh, so so he they they're heading to this. Uh, uh, so I, so I'm I'm still getting flooded with all these little things because you remember how she gets there and they say, oh well they're having the 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 it's the weekend thing where everyone comes over and she's like oh that's this weekend. They all knew that was the. <laughs> I mean she knew she obviously knew there's a whole point of this thing. They're gonna have an auction with bingo cards with bingo cards. <laughs> Does, does the bingo card signify anything specific to you? I don't know. I think maybe 
Um, it might just be one of the things. I think Jordan Peele, I think he, in that treatment interview, and I think he kind of backed off a bit of it because I think he felt like he may have said something a little too direct. But he had said, um, he said he tried to fill the movie with things that he felt from his point of view were strictly white people activities. Like, okay. I wondered about that, like, I did, but I didn't, I honestly didn't know like bingo halls, right? Like, like the, something you just wouldn't find in a, a black church or, or not. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. May, that probably may, but like things like bocce, which I know I love bocce, but he goes, that's just not something that if <laughs> they're taxidermy, which when he said that, and then I see the movie and I'm like, you know, taxidermy is something that I've always, 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 always been creeped out by. I mean, growing Why? <laughs> well, it's, you know, growing up in Indiana, you know, everyone was hunters and they had stuff on their walls. I'd just be like, that is a head of an animal <laughs> that you shot apparently because you really hated it <laughs> enough to kill it. And, and you've, you've doused it in chemicals and you've, you've cut it off and it's on your wall. And it just, I can't, I couldn't, every time as a child, whenever I saw an animal head on a wall, I couldn't not think of me on the wall yeah because i go well what's the difference it's a corpse uh, i don't i don't i don't see the difference between that deer on the wall or me on the wall it's the corpse of this animal that the hunter has admired thinks is beautiful yeah and said i must conquer it and put it on display yeah Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres had a great joke about that because he said his her family loved to hunt and they would, they would always just say, well, it's, it's why do you do it? And he's like, well, it's just such a beautiful animal. It's just a, such a beautiful animal and I just want to have it on my wall. And she goes, well, I think mom's pretty, but we got pictures of her. <laughs> and you just see there, he goes, no, you know, I, you know, you like, you like mom so much, we could just stuff her and have her on the wall. See, look, there's mom up there. Isn't she gorgeous? She got great legs too. They're in the other room. Come on, let's take a look. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I, I don't get that. I, if you think something is so beautiful, let's kill it and then mount it. Like, take a picture. <laughs> so, or let's cut out its brain. And so it send it to the sunken place. Right. So it was interesting. It was, uh, you know, I, I had listened to that interview first, which I wish I hadn't and i just couldn't resist it any longer so then to see the end act the end climactic battle basically involve all the things that he had listed there bocce balls taxidermy <laughs> like everything he oh mentioned. so you listened to that yeah i did you saw the movie? i did yeah oh man i did they, they thankfully didn't talk about you much you can't do that they didn't talk about much. It came up on my thing, and I was just too excited. I couldn't not listen. Oh to it. boy! It didn't give away that much. How but, can you um, issue? I guess you issued the the warning at the beginning of this episode. You issued from experience. Yeah. Well, it it that that interview didn't blow. They 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 made a good point not to blow anything. Okay. But um, but they were discussing elements of it as a as a social demons horror movie, you know, and so um. I don't think I don't think I got anything out of that that I didn't already get from I I, I really don't think there were any spoilers really. Let's talk about how the movie like peels back the layers of the onion. Mm-hmm. Um, where at the beginning it's it works it works really well on this kind of surface 
level of like you've you've okay you've already seen somebody get strangled right so you have a hint of what's to come but then for the next i don't know for the next act it's like 40 minutes or more before it's just a yeah it's just a really good um exercise in like social awkwardness <laughs> yeah and it could just be like a family drama with this kind of tension to it the dinner scene or the the party scene that could just be you could just cut that out and that could be part of your seminar on microaggressions yeah um like the, okay this is you know sometimes your comments can be well meaning but can still cause offense i mean yeah cuz all those things were they not part of a auction to buy purchase a body to replace their own yeah that is a completely viable scene all about those microaggressions yeah and it totally works per, and is complete on its own terms at that point in the, in the film so you're not yeah. even questioning you know it's like uh all these things that are just kind of creepy you accept them on face value as they're there because they're creepy right <laughs> you I know mean, like uh like walter running at him in the middle of the night. Right. Like it's just, it's just this really creepy moment and you find out, oh, it's cause he's still, <laughs> oh yeah. He's exulting in the fact that he has a young body again that he can run. Right. And he still wishes he beat Jesse Owens. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's a very specific reason he's running in right. that scene that you don't even need to know for that scene to completely work on its own terms. Right. And then later it's like, on the way home, it was Captain who pointed out, it was on the way home, like, oh, yeah, that's why he was running in that right, scene. Right, yeah. And, 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 and when you look back on their conversation about, isn't Rose just a beautiful girl? Or like that, that whole conversation. And you just take that and put it in the, if you just say, that's her grandfather, those words yeah. are completely grandfather words. Yeah. That's exactly what a grandfather would say. But coming out of someone not her grandfather, it was th almost threatening, you know? You're right. Like, it we're feels like, threatening. It feels uh, sexual. Yeah. It's like the um, – yeah. It, 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 well, it's like the whole conversation about Jesse Owens. Like it yeah. doesn't – like, well, how is Jesse Owens going to fit into this movie later? Like it just yeah. works because it's it fits into the theme of – of just the, like the black white tension right. on like a really surface level, like it just works on a really surface level. Um, <laughs> and there's and there's things that you think might come up later, like uh, when he shows him the candlesticks, is like I got these in uh, Bali. Like, isn't it a privilege to get to experience someone else's <laughs> culture? And you just think that's an ironic moment because Chris is experiencing their this family's culture, and there's this weird cultural clash there. And then you think, oh, well, the someone's going to get hit in the head with one of those candlesticks later in the movie, right? It's like right. Chekhov's, that's <laughs> right. Chekhov's candlestick, right? Um, but that doesn't come up, and that's fine. It's like all these things that just kind of work. Like, yeah, I don't have to look for I don't necessarily have to look for that coming later because it works perfectly well as it's introduced. Is it like, those... It's not like, why is that? Why did they bring that up? You is know, it... I'm trying to remember how the house caught on fire. Was it those candlesticks? I can't it's, remember how the house caught on fire. It's just they um, they have candles set up in the surge in the in the operating room. I think, <laughs> which does have kind of a religious cult feel to yeah. it. Why? Why is it? It's just why are they? Why would? Why are there candles in an operating room? Yeah, you think the candles would put solid particulates in the air? You wouldn't want that in a. 
<laughs> operating room with open. Not sure. Uh, Jordan Peele has done his research on the science <laughs> of brain transplants. If I only had one logic quibble with the 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 movie, mm-hmm. I, I I can throw it away because it's so minor, and I know why it has to be there. But to I be, have one too. I think it's brilliant though because they keep talking about him waiting for his mom. That playing against him rubbing bare the the armrests on the seat and yeah. then he's pulling the cotton up which i it did not go unnoticed that it was cotton that saved him <laughs> um so uh so he puts the cotton in his ears so not to not hear the the dings anymore and then um once he knocks out the brother he takes the cotton out of his ears to show us what he did he had to show us the cotton. He had to show yeah. us the cotton, but you put that shit back in. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that that was the only logic point where you're like, I had to go, well, he wants to be able to hear if anybody's coming. You know, if he was coming down the hallway, he doesn't want to be snuck up on. Okay, I get that. But he'd it just was like. He'd been through a lot. He'd been through a lot. I just let that I'm slide. I'm not sure I would make the best decisions under those right. circumstances. <laughs> but they had to show us what he did. So I write it up, but still you're like, put the cotton back in your ear. <laughs> Uh, I did wonder, um, given that this was an auction, this whole party is uh, an auction. It's like, well, it was people shopping for Chris so that they can bid on him an auction. That wouldn't it be, if you didn't want to raise suspicions, wouldn't you just have grandma and grandpa go away for the weekend instead of hanging around the house? If you didn't want to, oh, oh, right. Oh, they want to see their friends, I guess. Or uh, I have yeah. uh, 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 Andre and his Dre, whatever they call him, Andrew, have uh, the new version of Andrew bring him to the party. Right. Like if you, you know, if if you were all about pulling this off and not raising suspicions, I mean, it wouldn't have been as interesting of a movie. Right. No, exactly. Because <laughs> um, for a long time, it's the only the, the the thing you're trying to figure out is what's up with Walt and Georgina. Yeah, you're like like all the white people are acting creepy and 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 aggress and, and microaggressive, but that's normal. Right. <laughs> the black people aren't acting normal. Yeah. So it's because <laughs> and so like what that's that's the that's the key. Like that they're the ones who aren't acting normal. Yeah. It reminded just... me of Shaun of the Dead when you in the beginning of Shaun of the Dead where you can forgive Shaun for not noticing there'd been a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> because they, everyone during their normal life didn't act much different. Right. <laughs> so it's right. like when you can forgive him for not running away immediately because you're like, this is how, this is the experience. I just can't get over how it's this movie that it's just about these social mores mm-hmm. and how kind of fucked up they are. Then with creepy Walt and Georgina and you're trying to figure out what that's about. And then you have some, uh, jump scares and some creepy things and then the hypnotism scene happens and now you're trying to figure out what what that's all about and you think it's just all about brainwashing and then you find out about the the brain transplant and like oh it's it's kind of like the sixth sense where is that just a plot twist oh he was dead the whole time but like oh all these scenes that i thought meant this one thing emotionally they meant something they meant that plus something else, right? You know, it like deepened yeah. 
the emotional stakes of all these scenes in retrospect. Like, uh, like the scene where he's talking, where Chris is talking to Georgina about the phone being unplugged. And he, yeah. And he says, which is this, because we're watching it going, we're assuming she's been brainwashed and she can't, she can't, or is too frightened to voice her true feelings. But what's really there is when he says, you know, I, when I get around too many white people, I get nervous. And then that's the thing that makes the real Georgina bubble to the surface to yeah. where, to where the, 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 the grandma has to push, push her back down and regain control. It's or so just that heartbreaking. He assumes that she unplugged the phone on purpose. So his battery would go dead. And then she acts all weird. Uh, when she comes back with tattletale. Right. And it's like, Oh, maybe she honestly didn't know how to plug it back in. <laughs> True. And she didn't know what snitch meant. Yeah. You know, she, 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 she seems like she's acting weird, but that's just like a really honest moment. Like, Oh, I, you know, I'm over a hundred years old now or whatever. <laughs> and I, I don't touch those phones cause I'm afraid I'm going to break them. Yeah. And I don't know what you mean when you say snitch or rat, you know, I can't um, wait to see it again. Because I know I'll even find even more, just richly thought out, and and uh, it's, yeah, I can't wait to see it again. Which is again a very weird thing to say. <laughs> so so do you think? So, okay, so then you get to the so it goes from just creepy, creepy family visit to brainwashing story to brain transplant story, right? Right. And like in each of those, it's kind of like the three stages of the, of the, of the metaphor <laughs> where it keeps kind of shifting, but they all work and they, they all, they're all kind of working on different levels. Mm-hmm. And so you have the brainwashing metaphor where it's, that's just like a straight up slavery metaphor, I think. But the brain transplant metaphor, like, is that, is that saying is that a metaphor for black people acting the way white people want them to? Well, yeah, I think the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar article I mentioned is, is a really enlightening read on that because he basically comes at it from the point of view of it's controlling the bodies of black men and women. Like when you are during slavery, we controlled your bodies. We, and then in the, when that was over, then we, when we, try to find any way we could to criminalize being black. So we make them prisoners and we control their bodies. Now we're planting our consciousness in them to literally own their body again and suppress their voice. So you make the body the prison by controlling it. I can see that. Yeah. And that, that, and that makes sense. But I also think it works in another way in that. I'm sure it does. Because <laughs> it's just awesome. I mean, this movie is so rich. It is. It's 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 like a it's like a poem. That's the only. It's the thing I kept thinking about. It's like this is just like. Um, it's hard to say. It just like it feels like the structurally. It just it's it's perfect. Yeah, because we didn't um, even get into how Chris feels responsible for his own mother's slow demise and how that inhibits him and that isol- makes him isolate himself. And put up with a lot that he really shouldn't, uh, and and why he does a lot of the behaviors he does. So we didn't even touch on that. That's also feels there. It's not all external. 
um, forces at work here. Well, how did so? How do you do? You think that like fits in with this, or is that just like another facet to it? It's it's more of another facet, but it's how it's how she got in to uh, hypnotize him using yeah. the very core of his his being against him. You know, and so yeah. um, you open up and become vulnerable, and then they you know you can be used. So it's like, be honest, be open. Don't cause, don't be honest, be open. You better lay everything on the table and you better be invisible. So, um, uh, I, I, I don't think I got to finish my thought. Oh um, yeah. No, you didn't. Sorry. So the, so the brain transplant. So there's the one, so there's, the one, there's one metaphor that it's about direct control as in, um, like a, a domination, like direct domination of, of black bodies. Um, through slavery or exploitation or, or something like that. But even, but I think it, it works in kind of a more subtle way of uh, if we're going to, you know, you're, you're free to live side by side with me and work with me. You can date my daughter. You just have to act a certain acceptable way. Right. To that fit I into my society. And, and, and those are terms I set. Yes, exactly. Right. And just by doing that, and then you can be as free as you want to be, you know, <laughs> It's my society, not our society. Right. And I decide, I set the terms. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that it's that kind of, it's a different kind of puppeting where you're, you're, you're in there, but it's, you have to, you have to, that's the sunken place. You have to push yourself down and I'm really, I'm really the puppet master, yeah. <laughs> even though it's, it's a, it's an indirect kind of domination. Right. While still being horribly direct. It's like, let me be in control because I'll be the benevolent puppet master. But I already have this inherent bias that I might not even be aware of in how I think and categorize things. So while being an indirect, maybe not at the forefront of your intent, it's still incredibly, it's still a direct suppression or a direct oppression. Yeah. Trying to point out someone's inherent bias their subconscious bias, like these microaggressions, um, usually leads to a lot of pushback because they're being told they are bad. You know, they're being told that no, 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 you're you're racist. You just don't know you're racist. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, and they get very defensive because they don't want to be told they're racist. They don't want to be told they're bad. They know that the word racism is bad. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to be bad. They don't want to be everyone to think of them as the vin villain or the bad guy. So they push back how do you how do you come up with i'm always in search of those analogies that trigger that that uh immediate bias so that's recognized and the truly horrifying thing is that is, is uh, i've been reading a lot about how like knowledge of your inherent biases almost never affect your later decision making outcomes <laughs> just because you know that you have an inherent bias that doesn't make you make a different decision yeah it's kind of sad yeah is there hope for us yeah how many how many stupid ignorant things did, did we unwittingly say in the course of this conversation more than we'd like to know i'm sure <laughs> I'd, well i would like to know oh i mean i'd like to know i just more than once i'm being told like oh boy yeah more than you but, will more than I will be, be comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. More yeah, than I'll be able right. to stomach. That's the way to say it. Yeah. Um, more than I'd like to be true. 
Um, so like, I, I think what, what did, Louis CK has a routine that uh, again, sadly, I wish wasn't true or hit so home, but he has a routine about how he thinks racism feels like a mistake. Like racism feels like something just went wrong along the way. That's going to take time to correct, but it is correctable. We just need to want to, but sexism ain't going anywhere. <laughs> He usually uh, he's going like sexism is so him. ingrained so deep into you that that's not going anywhere. But racism feels I mean that's that's not that's not to say that sexism isn't a mistake, but racism feels like a like a like a a calculatable mistake with an easy fix. <laughs> it's one you you can get past. Yeah. Yeah, you can get past. Um, but yeah, like your mother is the first thing you know in this world. Yeah. Like, you know, your, 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 your notions of, uh, femaleness are, that's like the, the, that's formed early on. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, what's vice versa? (laughs) Our our opinions of babies. Yeah, exactly. Early on babies. No, I meant of a daughter, daughter first really view of, of, men are their fathers so like or but just even even your picture of what a woman is supposed to be like yeah is formed from 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 your mother that's what that's that was my point right 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 so is there hope for us maybe um it's always nice to be self-aware and i think the more self-aware we are and the less um, you're always on that, that journey to, to be assertive of yourself, to assert yourself, but not assert yourself onto others for them, you know? Yeah. Like that's where the, the appropriation aspect is, is difficult because we wouldn't have, I mean, it's also kind of amazing when you think of the different cultures mixing and, getting new cuisines and new, uh, you know, architecture, architecture, architecture. And I want to say, I'm sorry. I want to say architecture (laughs) and then say textiles. It's, 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 I can't say the two together. Buildings and clothes. You're talking about the texture of buildings. (laughs) The texture of building. Yeah. Um, So uh, we wouldn't have, if they all didn't influence each other. So that's beautiful. But, when you appropriate, there, there certainly is a uh, um, a weird um, robbery and denial of others of the, that that can occur. So it just, I guess, it just helps to be self-aware what you're actually doing. <laughs> I'm not a student of of this stuff, um, uh, but I did read uh, one thing that that stuck with me, which was. Um, that the mark of uh, a progressive is um, self-introspection and the, the this kind of base assumption that we all have work we should be doing on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, we're, none of none of us are as good as we should be. Right. There's always you, we can always better ourselves. Yeah, and so it. it we tend to look for 
flaws in ourselves with the hope that of improving on them. Right. And that, yeah. that would be the, that would, and I don't know if that's enough. Like would, would, uh, would Rose's family say that that's what they're doing? Yeah. Like that's, that's what's, that's what's so scary about that. Yeah. That, that part of the, of the movie for me is that they do think that they think they're doing that. So yeah. then how do you, yeah. How do you, how, how, like, so what more is there? Like what would happen like, if how, Rose's family fell into a groundhog day situation where they had to live the same day over and over again and self and like Phil Connors become a better person through the repetition of living this moment over and over again. What would that be like for that family? <laughs> would they get better <laughs> or would they, you know, just perfect their immeasurably horrible uh, process? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, I think that they have a smugness uh, in thinking that they have figured out, they have figured it out. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where they're falling short. We all, we all try to have and those. That's, aha and that's the only place they're falling short. It's the only. No. <laughs> we all love to have those aha moments, but there is, in the field. Uh, I was just listening to, yeah, the Dana Gould hour just had a wonderful discussion about this, where they were saying there's nothing more dangerous in the world of psychiatry or psychotherapy as when your therapist gets that light in their eyes, like, Oh, I've got, I figured this out. I've solved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the most dangerous thing that can happen. <laughs> Truly. I think like the most dangerous thing in the world is someone who thinks that they figured it out. Yeah. 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 I tell this to my kids all the time. I'm like, there's no one, no one trusts. Don't trust anyone who says that they know what God wants. Right. Yeah. That, that's always been my, my philosophy is that I distrust anybody who tells me they know what God is, what God wants, and what heaven, the afterlife. I say this like while I'm taking my kids to church. Like I do, yeah. <laughs> I do participate in organized religion, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I still tell them that. Yeah. Well, that's good because cause you're just like, like that's, that's, look, you're, you're, there, there's value in this. Get what's valuable. But don't. That's what I love about the movie, The Invention of Lying. Have you seen that, Ricky Gervais no. movie? The first two acts are brilliant. Uh, the last act is disappointing because it it seems to go with a standard romantic comedy ending that we didn't want. We didn't want this to happen. But th what's brilliant about The Invention of Lying is it's a it creates a world where no one has ever told a lie. So therefore, movies are basically just history being read to you because no one's pretending to be an actor or play a part. No one, no one presents anything that isn't what it is. Yeah, okay. uh, everyone speaks exactly their mind, which often sometimes mostly in the movie is just purport is just confused with being directly cruel. So everyone just says, ah, I don't want to look at your face anymore because you're ugly and then turn away or whatever. And everyone just states exactly what they they don't misrepresent themselves in any way okay. until Ricky Gervais figures out one just has the idea to tell the bank because he's about to lose his apartment because he doesn't have any money left. And he just tells the bank, no, I've actually got more money in your account. And the bank goes, oh, really? Well, I'm sorry. Here you go. And they give him the money because <laughs> mm -hmm. no one's ever lied before. So he realizes that he can make anything happen because he makes it up and everyone just believes it. No one's ever done this before. And then what happens is the most brilliant thing ever. 
his mother is dying in the hospital and they're just all saying okay well you know she's gonna die just keep her comfortable she's gonna die very soon and the his mother is terrified his mother is terrified because she's like i don't know what's gonna happen what's gonna happen if the moment i die what's gonna happen and and ricky gervais begins to cry and it's this is a performance that is amazing he then makes something up and just says it's going to be okay mom because when you die you're gonna he basically paints a portrait of heaven Mm -hmm. to, to try to get rid of all her fears and she's elated because she's so comforted by everything he says and he's like look everyone you ever lost in your life you'll see again and there's just nothing but love and you get everything you want there's no reason to be afraid i'm crying right now thinking about it so there's no reason to be afraid at all because it's just going to be wonderful that's what happens when you die and then she dies and then he turns around and the entire doctor's staff is standing there going tell us more about this place <laughs> you know what happens <laughs> when we die you know what happens when we die and so then he becomes this figure of he basically becomes a moses like figure and so he he basically invents religion we call those prophets right he basically becomes a prophet and becomes um he invents this religion and he's trying to make the world the way he thinks it should be so he writes down the, the, these laws or commandments on these two dumb pizza hut boxes <laughs> and proclaims them to, to the world that this is what happens when you die and this is what we need to do to get there and then the movie starts to show how religion can bring out the best in people and how religion can bring out the worst in people and so Mm. it's really interesting in that regard where it's like it's 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 a really breathtaking movie up until about an hour into it and then it just goes south but like um it's 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 pretty great because it's not all religious bashing it's saying look this serves this purpose of making us better than ourselves we are trying to make a better world for ourselves but then it also fuels this you know because someone's telling you how it is and you get into the specifics the dogmatic part of it and everyone's trying to follow this to the letter and then they just it it just goes it, it it gets crazy so um it's a fascinating uh comedy actually um and I've blown the best parts of it, but it was so germane of what we were saying. <laughs> um, but I recommend it just, just, just for that. I don't know if we want to do an in summation at this point because we're we're reaching our typical time. Yeah. Um, I think it's. It feels like we're winding down. Yeah, I feel like we still didn't really credit the movie, give the movie as much due as we sh- as it deserves. I did so much. Well, we've heaped nothing but praise on it. As much praise. Oh, I, uh, one more thing I wanted to um, say. Uh, one metaphor that I wasn't sure I got. And oh, then, right. um, I think uh, yeah. I wonder what you thought. Catherine, uh, I thought, had a good take on it. Um, cause just because everything, everything seemed to be there for a reason, even if not at first in, in retrospect, except for the bingo cards, uh, just because I wasn't sure about what place that might have in, in black culture. Um, and then it's just at the fact that it's the flash of uh, a photograph that triggers uh, breaking the, the spell. 
I thought about that a little bit too. Like, like it seems like, well, I, I guess now I think about it, I was going to criticize it and say that it's a pretty flimsy thing. If a procedure, if a bright flash can, can undo a lot of its, um, processes just because that's not so rare uh, it's a phenomenon no it's not rare phenomenon even naturally occurring you know and yeah. so um i thought well that's that's kind of silly that that's something but then if you think about it a <laughs> a racially charged cohabitation of someone else's body suppressing their minds body and spirit and soul that's a precarious situation <laughs> <laughs> it should be easily toppled you know <laughs> it, it's not it's not a solid bedrock with which to form a stable society as we plainly see so yeah so in a way that actually works pretty well this isn't stable. but why but, but why a flash of of all things it could be because it's why in everyone's that? pockets <laughs> and so i was because <laughs> uh, it's convenient and uh and, and i mean it's motivated because he needs to send a picture to to rod to yeah to kick off the next part of the plot um so there's that uh i was trying to connect it to seizures maybe um well seizures right um i was trying to connect it to uh when they're in the sunken place that it, it's like they're watching a, a tv screen mm -hmm. and like well is it like screens or image making or i, I was trying to to connect it to that um but then uh, uh, Catherine pointed out, and I, I just hadn't occurred to me at all, um, it's always a, a phone camera, and uh, she saw oh. it as relating to um, just a, a, the whole Black Lives Matter movement being kicked off by uh, police brutality being caught on, on camera phones. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And so camera phones are like making it, – it's literally making them woke. <laughs> exactly like that the camera phone is the thing that has brought this to to be undeniable to yeah it bring it th this abuse that's happening silently catch that's, it on with your camera phone and it suddenly comes to the surface that's brilliant yeah like, i thought wow that was really subtle i thought you were gonna say she she was gonna say um that it was stealing your soul the whole thing of the camera stealing your soul, <laughs> but that's way better. That's it's putting your soul back. Putting your soul back. I mean, I mean the the wow. I mean that's fascinating. I part of me actually wonders if that's a happy accident, but it probably it's it's so perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, I don't I right. There, I mean this this movie hardly has a hair out of place. It's, yeah. No, not at all. It's so marvelously constructed and well thought out. And executed, uh, that it's like the set designs, the the casting, the performances. Yeah, um, it's absolutely two and a half stars. The pace, the pacing. <laughs> if only it had been more like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, exactly. I could give it four stars. Uh, is it a strength or a weakness? That in this whole conversation we didn't once use the word privilege. Hmm. I think it was inferred. 
Yeah, I, I didn't think we had to, but it sh- it should be there. It hangs over it the entire thing. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't use that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Hmm. I would have expected us. I would have, if I were a betting man, I would have bet that we would have. Oh yeah. So let me ask you this: Get Out being a horror movie, as well as being a movie that cost four point five million to make. And has grossed well over 120 million dollars so far. Nice. Um, also, not incidentally, being the first uh, movie where a first-time black director has crossed the 100 million dollar mark on his debut directing movie. That was a lot of qualifiers. There was a lot of qualifiers. Awesome. But I also like Jordan Peele's response to that when he said first of many," and he, was, yeah. he followed it up by saying, "I didn't mean all mine. I meant the first <laughs> of many." <laughs> black directors to cross the hundred million dollar mark on their first movie. So like, <laughs> it was like, I knew exactly what he meant when he said first of many, it felt strong and powerful. And then he followed it up. I, well, you always say it. Yeah. I didn't mean just all mine. First of many Jordan Peele, Peele movies. <laughs> to cross yeah. the um, but, uh, okay. So given all these stats, what does Hollywood do when that happens? It's a horror movie made a shit ton of money cultural phenomenon what's going to happen next um well uh so okay so if, if i'm going to try to put that hat on it's horror movies that come out this time of year always make money mm-hmm. right right so just give if, if i were saying that i wouldn't say oh is we should let more uh black geniuses make whatever movie they want <laughs> it's that uh, horror movies this time of year always make money. Let's let some black people direct some of them. <laughs> I don't know. Like if I if I was like the kind of assholes I'm familiar with. Who <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who always take the wrong lesson exact... out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that would be, I don't know. Like that would be their thinking. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Black people see horror movies. Of course they well, do. We want our clients to get in on this uh, black uh, movie, black horror movie uh, money. So, uh, but they're all white, but we got to get them in there. <laughs> Let's get. Um, uh, let's see if Tyler Perry wants to do a horror movie. Well, I I thought he's done one. Boo! I, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a horror movie or not. Um, he might have done one actually, though. Um, the what I was thinking of was that you know he's like let's get him to do one of our horror. Let's movies. him do one of ours. What I what I was thinking of was uh, Jordan Peele has said he's got you know other like three or four other social demon horror movies that he wants to explore, which is great. Yeah. Um, but what I was thinking specifically of is when Hollywood has a horror movie that does really well, that become a cultural touchstone, they can't not make a sequel. They have, they have to push oh, a sequel through. This movie can't have a sequel, can it? I don't, I don't want it to. I'd much rather, I'd much rather it be like a Coronetto trilogy where he's the social demons trilogy uh, movies. Here's Jordan Peele's yeah. social demon horror movies. Great. Do it. But it made so much money and was talked about so much. They are going to say, well, we're doing probably people who haven't even seen it are going, well, we're going to make get out too. Right. So I hate that idea. Cause I'm like, what, what can you do with it? But then you go, well, there's a lot of racism out there to explore. Um, I, I thought, mean, maybe there's more you could do with just with the whole white 
brains and black bodies right premise because i just think I mean, what's left unresolved from this movie i'm just that's that's why i wanted to bring that up because what's left unresolved um daniel's excuse me uh chris still has he still has been hypnotized so if he hears that exact sound again he will go under so that's still in place that hasn't been removed yet so you have that and maybe his working to ensure that that doesn't happen. We also don't know how many people have undergone this process. We know of yeah. three. We don't know of more. We don't know if this is yeah. franchised and this was just the head or not. We don't know if Rose is alive or dead. Frankly. Yeah, we're not totally sure if she's alive or dead. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, there are those elements left that someone could either pick up the movie right where they left off or down the road or whatever. But uh, I implore you, Hollywood, just just let Jordan Peele and other filmmakers just make the movie that's going to make us talk about it. Not don't 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 I mean, make it out too. you might have <laughs> you might have said the same thing after Night of the Living Dead. Like, oh, they should never make a sequel to that movie. It was perfect. Right. It's self-contained. And you wouldn't have Dawn of the It Dead. leaves you thinking that the whole world is being taken over by zombies and it's exactly how the feeling you want to be left with. Um, and then you never, and, you know, but they they did those sequels the right way. Yeah. Where it's just a, a different take on the same. It's it's just, it's extending without stretching. Yeah. Or Or repeating. You know, it's not trying to make the same movie again. It's trying to say something different but related with the same – I want to say same palette or same right. – <laughs> I don't know. Same toolboxes. I don't have a good metaphor for it, but um, – <laughs> Same context, same world, same dilemmas, just different situations, different – You can it. make rubber soul and follow it up with – Same uh, theme. Revolver yeah. and then follow it up with Sergeant Peppers. You know, it's – Yeah. Good. That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> I had to think of uh, of white people to <laughs> to, I, to to get there. Have you thought of what your perfect movie is? May, may, oh. I, may, may I make a suggestion for you? Sure. Get out. <laughs> Maybe Get Out is your answer to that movie to that question. I'm tempted to say. Um, I'm tempted, like even where there are like. Oh, why is that there? Well, like, well, I had to be there or else the awesomest parts of the movie couldn't have happened, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I we, yeah. we didn't talk much about Rod. And I thought Rod, uh, other than, I mean, I think Rod was, was really great. And, and, and of course, yeah. his step at the end, I mean, his entrance at the end is just, is just so needed. Um, but, you know, what did you think of the part where he's trying to convince the police officers? Yeah. <laughs> That was great. That yeah, was funny. It was a great. It, there were parts where you're, I, I, I did think to myself, is this scene necessary? Could this have been left? Is it just comic relief at this point, or just to show that that he's not being taken seriously, or just to make? And, and then I thought about it later when it came to the end. I was like, we needed that scene to show that he probably wasn't going to, he wasn't getting any traction to get up there. Yeah, that yeah. he's the cavalry's not coming. Cavalry's not coming. Right. Just so, the fact that he was a TSA agent uh, calls to mind racial profiling, mm -hmm. you know, and stereotyping. Yeah, yeah. Nah, this is this is a great movie. Yeah, it's it's. Un I I I highly doubt I will see another movie this year 
that will make hope, hopefully we'll maybe we'll say something different. But yeah, uh, I, I, I'm in complete agreement. I won't be surprised at all if this is still my favorite movie at the end of the year. Yeah, me too. So, <sighs> oh, I guess that concludes our two and a half hour discussion of Get Out. <laughs> You can find us on the various social media platforms if you want to drop us a line and tell us what A, what you thought, or B, tell us where we're being microaggressive and point us out in our flaws and uh, unconscious biases. I welcome it because how else will we how else will we be better? So That's right. Let fly. And um uh yeah, and you what can... are those social media platforms, Siggy? You can send us feedback uh, via email at you watched it wrong at happypanic.net. We're on our Facebook page. Just search for you watched it wrong. We also have a Twitter feed. Um, uh, you can search for you watched it wrong, except it's both the letter <laughs> U. Which uh, you can search for it by the real name too, and I think it still comes up, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, send us a tweet. Post on our Facebook page. Uh, send us an email. We'd like to know what you think. Um, uh, I must admit, I'm a, a little disappointed that no one has yet responded to any of our surveys uh, for each of our episodes saying which one of us, Wade, him, or Siggy, me, uh, watched it right or watched it wrong. But I'm even more surprised that nobody has pointed out that we haven't yet posted those surveys. <laughs> Making it impossible yeah. to respond to them. So that's a little disappointing. Yeah, why would you go through all that searching and searching and searching for those surveys, not find them, and then not complain about it? Just that's let right. it go? Come on. It's it's almost as if I shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> so uh, if, you, if you want something like a survey, you're going to have to give us a little something, some indication that you, you want those. Take some initiative. I Make the survey yourself. Tony Morrison, that shit. Do they have the power to do that? Yeah. If, 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 if there's a survey you want to take and it's not out there, then you have to make that survey. Just, yeah, just get on like Survey Monkey and then post a link somewhere. <laughs> I'll take it. I know what I know which one I'm going to Hey, say. we're not going to turn down a free right. survey, you know, free made survey, you know. Anyway, uh, but we have had some feedback already uh, from our listeners. This is the mailbag section. Are we going to call this the mailbag? These are all texts, so we could call it the text bag. Text bag. The text bag. Let's see. Uh, and how can you text us if you want to give us your comment? You can't. Go to our Facebook page. Yeah. Form a relationship with us. Form a relationship. <laughs> Make us trust you to give you our personal numbers. Okay. Uh, my cousin David. Hello, Dave. Hey, Dave. He says, uh, this is in response to episode one. Um, he texted. He wasn't even finished with the episode, but he he uh, had to let me know that the Kung Fu uh, is called Teres Kasi in the Star Wars universe. Ah. Or Teres Kasi. I don't know how that's pronounced. Um, Star Wars universe. I thought it was just a galaxy, but it's a whole universe, um, which I suppose it is. Uh, he also says, 
Um, I knew pretty early that there would be some errors when you mentioned Mon Mothma talking about the Bothans dying. <laughs> she didn't mention that until Jedi, referring to the second Death Star plans, which, you know, during the course of our conversation, I remembered that, that I had gotten that wrong, but I didn't uh, take the time to, to say it out loud. Uh, and it doesn't matter anyway. What else? There's one other thing. Uh, Dave says... Uh, he says, I thought of Rogue One as more of a heist film that started the war. Uh, you can tell, Wade, that the pizza joke, this is from uh, your your parody of Empire Strikes Back, oh. uh, that the pizza joke has been recreated dozens of times by fans, many of them in public. I think he means the times, <laughs> not, the pe- not the fans. Um, uh, uh, the, its irony was not lost. Um uh, so that's the, so thank you thank well, you thanks. Dave thank you Dave uh, hey I, I'm gonna issue a challenge to Dave uh, Dave could you tell me being such a Star Wars uh, archivist what's the style of music that is played by figuring Dan and the modal nodes oh uh, I think I know this I think it's called Bith. Uh, you know maybe that's not the one I was thinking of oh okay what were you that? thinking of? So this is a quiz. So this you know a, the answer. I know the you're, answer. It's, you're challenging It's, it's him. horrifying. <laughs> it's one of those things that just like, it can't, that can't be it. Or is it like jizzle? You're, you're very close. I've, I've read yeah. the it's jizz Wikipedia music. article it's, on this. The Wikipedia says that the Cantina Band song and other songs played by Figuring Dan and the Mole Nodes is, no, is known as jizz music. Jizz. Yeah. They're jizz players. Well, I mean, uh, if you look at the shapes of their heads, <laughs> you can see that that's why jizz would come out of. <laughs> you just no, you couldn't. No, you can't. Really, that's simpler times. So, oh, and you did. Uh, you did tell David about him yelling at me in the truck. What I was really doing, right? <laughs> Uh, Do you remember when I he, don't remember the story. Oh, you know, from what you told me, he was he was playfully offended that I snubbed him. <laughs> but like I, I honestly didn't hear my name. I just heard yelling, and I didn't. I he was so far away, I didn't recognize him, or I didn't have my glasses or something. I don't know. But I was just like, "What's that guy yelling about?" And then I went inside. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Dave. I apologize. I I wish I I really wish I had heard. May, uh, distinguished my name because I would have totally ran over there. See to another piece hi. of feedback here. Uh, this is uh, Becky Welsenbach. Sorry, it's Becky Welsenbach, and I know this because uh, she's a, a friend and coworker of mine. Um, uh, I, I had made reference to her man. during the La La Land episode because um, I had a phone call with her oh. <laughs> right before the episode, which was a great. Um, I wish I just recorded that. She like gave this great like little um, concise kind of lecture about her feelings about La La Land, um, uh, and then I I think I only quoted like one half a sentence from it. Anyway, she listened to the episode and she uh, had this to say: <laughs> um, "Huge movie pet peeve of mine when movie characters are named with names that are super trendy when the movie is set." but not for the age of the characters. Mm. Check Mia and Sebastian, and then sends me to the baby name wizard. (laughs) Um, And uh, she points out they trend upward at the right time, 
but Mia and Sebastian are very much post-2010 babies. Mm. To which I, I responded to her, this is my new favorite pet peeve. <laughs> well, a little known uh, fact, La La Land takes place in the distant future. <laughs> um, and then she says, see also Addison in Grey's Anatomy. Um, now, this is not something I'm... It turns out that my wife also notices this. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, the only, only instances of this I know about were um, how Alice in Wonderland... Alice wasn't really a name anybody ever had. I guess uh, uh, Lewis Carroll just kind of made it up. Really? Or maybe it was super obscure. I don't know. But then all these girls are named Alice after Alice in Wonderland. And then, of course, um, the famous one, Madison from Splash. And then that's the other one, yeah. is Madison. It's just like it's a joke that she's named Madison because she sees it on a street sign. And then all these uh, kids in the 90s. Yeah name madison uh became the number so, one name for a very long time number one girl's name until Brittany. <laughs> let's see uh see also addison in gray's anatomy another street name uh in chicago let's uh have samantha more, let's have more girls named van buren <laughs> or Bryn mar Bryn mar thorndale uh, samantha in sex in the city and the american girl series uh, Samantha was not on the map at all until Bewitched. So basically, no one be born before the mid-60s should realistically be named Samantha. Uh, hypothesis. Also good for catching stage names. Investigated Emma Stone because Emma, too, is a post-2010 name. Turns out her given name is Emily, which peaked right around the time she was born and has been dropping ever since. Aww. At the same time, Emma was rising. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was... Uh, a pretty funny thing to go on and on about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like we don't do that about anything. <laughs> I mean, I'll. So she has baby names, uh, names of people. Those names weren't entirely in fashion. I've got recess lighting on the mannequin heads of blind costume superheroes. That's my pet peeve. <laughs> oh, she also says. Um... Referring to the songs in La La Land, or one song, isn't here to the dreamers, here's to the dreamers, just like 80% the Rainbow Connection? <laughs> yeah, I, I did think of the Rainbow Connection in it because, yeah, it's kind of the same conceit. Although I think the Rainbow Connection is way more um, ponderous and way more complex because this one's just saying, here's to the dreamers! Whereas Rainbow Connection is like, why am I motivated to do this thing that makes really no sense? But I feel I have to. May I suggest you mean pondering instead of ponderous. Oh, I meant ponderosa because <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> I wanna now I want to record a ponderous uh, cover of the Rainbow Connection. Oh no! So like... is this the whole nauseating, nauseous, and nauseated thing? <laughs> Well, that's all for the, the mailbag section. Well, thank uh, you, bag. You don't have to be commenting on us. You can just share your thoughts on the movies that we're discussing, and we'd, we'd uh, like to hear your takes. So once again, probably the best way. Well, no, if you want to do it in public, do it on Facebook. If you want to do it in private, email us at, uh, what's the name of this podcast? You Watched It Wrong at happypanic.net. Speak for yourself. I only take comments to my face. So if you can find this face, I'll take your comment. 
We didn't talk about Keanu. We didn't talk about Keanu. Do you want to do a quick? Late. Too late. Nah. Okay, I got one comment. Okay, go Keanu. Ahead. Um, it's the one comedy film I can think of where it was ruined by the music, by the score. Hmm. Well, I can think of a few of those. I think uh, put a I think put a different score on that movie and it, it it becomes a funny movie. Whereas I I really uh, I felt like it was a slog. I I kind of enjoy. It. There's a lot of things in it I like, but I was surprised how. I really wanted one of them to be to have directed it. I wonder how I would have felt about the movie if Jordan Peele had directed it. I think it would have been a much stronger movie. Well, there's a guy who directed every episode of really? Key and Peele, which I didn't Are realize there's me? only one person who's directed all of Key and Peele, but That's it, crazy. it's just one guy and he directed Keanu. Because yeah, Key and Peele is like, I don't know. I look at that show and I go, this is like usually when a sketch comedy show is so well it's so handsomely produced like the like like it looks so technically i i love that because i think that i think that's that's uh that's a lot of key to a lot of the to the comedy sometime to match the look of whatever it is you're parroting really well but i also noticed that when they spend too much time to really set it up and make it look good it kills a lot of the the the, the fun of the comedy sometimes key and peel never seemed to fall victim to that they had these things that looked amazing and yet were still so sharp and loose and energetic and and that was amazing so yeah it's actually surprises me greatly to hear it's the same guy yeah yeah it was kind of a weird i i was disappointed with the the two real killers that were also played by them for some reason that bothered me just because there was nothing funny about them. there was nothing funny about it and it could have been just any two guys in wigs yeah and then um it wasn't even funny the fact that it was them <laughs> right the kitty was the the kitten put in a good performance. I laughed a lot at the kitten, and then uh, yeah, this is a failing on my part. I was halfway through the movie before I realized, oh my god, this whole thing is a takeoff on John Wick. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Of course, that's it's called Keanu, and it's. Uh, I didn't. I can't believe I didn't get that. I uh, I I read that that wasn't uh, intentional at all. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, doesn't adhere so closely to it, but it's like, it's, I couldn't think of how it couldn't have been. I mean, it came right, it came right on its heels, so, but I was. No, this, I was like, it was already in uh, development oh, before wow. uh, Wick even became a, a thing. Wow. I, I did. I just thought it was like the longest, most boring Key and Peel sketch. And it was like, oh, okay. So what you, what works for a five minute sketch, you can't stretch that out to 90 minutes because you're still you're hitting the same beat over yeah. and over again well that that brings up a couple of, of of interesting points that we've talked about a lot in the past which maybe we should save for another podcast the idea that in comedy does your character need to have a traditional narrative arc i think we used to talk about this a lot in terms of like you know if the tramp had an arc he wouldn't be the tramp anymore you know if uh, uh, and Austin Powers had a great arc in the first movie, but in those other movies, they just repeated it, got it, we reset him back to the first part to redo the whole thing again. And you're like, well, no, now it's a lie because he changed. He's not that guy anymore. I think when you've got a certain type of comedy and then you adhere to the traditional narrative structure of what makes a satisfying movie, the, those beats feel false because... And the comedy falls flat because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a story. 
And so you're hitting that same that same button every time. It doesn't feel like anybody's really changing or progressing because they're trying to keep those comedic elements like still available. Having said that, I did laugh a lot during Keanu. But oh, there is a perplexity about that movie. In the trailer, they showed a confrontation happening in a warehouse holding that was seemingly storing the robots from Showbiz Pizza's Rock of Fire Explosion Band. Yeah, that's in the movie. That's in the movie. And so I was so excited because I love Showbiz Pizza and the Rock of Fire Explosion. Fuck this Chuck E. Cheese bullshit. Rock of Fire Explosion <laughs> all the way. Yeah, Billy gone. Bob. Billy Bob and his banjo. That's right. So I was so excited. How is that going to tie into the movie? How? Why are they there? Uh, and the movie yeah. gives no... There's no... They're just... That's just in the background. And... Yeah, just a... Uh, kind of be a little creepy or something yeah i guess which is fine that's i i I, i'd rather not force that element but i was sitting there going why is it i guess because of my familiarity with the rock of fire explosion i was just like why are they there in this warehouse with the rock of fire explosion it's just be like yeah contrast that with with get out where everything everything there feels like it's there for a reason yeah just like bob odenkirk everything is there Nothing's wasted. Nothing's. Yeah. It's measured and and reasoned, and hilarious. Yeah. All right. Um, so as we said, check us out on those platforms, and we'll try to get another episode out to you as soon as we can. If you feel like suggesting a, a film for us to watch and then talk about in a future episode, how dare you? <laughs> you don't control us. We're not your monkey. That's right. We're gonna live our own lives. <laughs> Go watch your own damn movie. And if your name is Zack Snyder, you watchmaned it wrong. <laughs>